Our new partner who I'm really, really excited to announce we are working with. Super, super stoked. Thank you, Angie Huberman, for this connect. It's incredible. Uh, AG1 Athletic Greens. I've been using them for a while. I have them every morning on an empty stomach. Basically, take one scoop and you put it into a uh, cup or glass or mug of eight ounces of cold water. And this is all your greens for the day. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Every day I take this, it's so good for my digestion, my energy. It's simple. It's easy. I don't like taking a lot of vitamins. This has been really, really helpful for me. I've had a lot of stomach issues my whole life, and ever since I've been gluten-free and taking the AG1s, it's really helped me in my stomach in the mornings. I love it, and I'm so psyched that they're part of the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm sure a lot of people don't like eating greens, let alone drinking your greens, but I can tell you straight up, it's got a mild tropical taste, and the taste is actually really refreshing, and I really look forward to it each morning. Don't, don't think it's just going to be just straight bland. Um, it tastes really, really good, um, and it's good for you, so remember that. This one blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's incredible, just one scoop, especially for musicians who are vegans or just musicians in general who want to get those daily greens. You can get the packets. It's incredible. I just gave some to my friend Derek from Sepultura. He traveled the whole entire world this summer, and he had, he had those every single day. He said it's, it saved him. I bring AG1s with me when I travel. It helps me stay healthy. You know the deal. If you're on tour and you are uh, a picky eater, but you need to have your greens, sometimes catering doesn't have greens. Sometimes you miss the catering. Sometimes you miss the backstage food. Sometimes it's too late after the show to go get food that you like. So if you just have a, a scoop of uh, AG1s in your hotel room before you go to bed or you're in the hotel room at night and you're starving and you want something healthy, boom, life changer. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with some convenient daily nutrition. That's all you need. One scoop in a cup every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. This is it. I'm super psyched. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit drinkag1.com slash OLLC. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This is incredible. I love it. It's just basic greens. For me personally, this has changed my life tremendously. I'm not a junk food vegan. I don't eat a lot of fake meats, so I'm strictly, strictly greens. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful new addition to my life. So once again, visit drinkag1.com slash OLLC. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Get one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Yo, yo, Liquid Death, thank you so much for hydrating all my guests, taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water, love your brand, love what you stand for, love what you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. And if you want to get water, Liquid Death water, go to amazon.com. But for merchandise and other things that's not water, go to liquiddeath.com slash Toby and get free shipping. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst, stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives. Mic check, mic check. 
Check one, two, one, two, one, two. Their fucking voice. Their voice is in my kitchen. If people don't know who that is, I could do my intro now. But um, <clears throat> welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Today, I have one of my close friends, really close friend of mine. We've been friends for a long time. Um, talking about having the podcast. Life gets in the way. COVID, lockdown, just everything, you know? People, you know. I've been talking about this lately, too. Like, people always hit me up and they're like, when's this guy coming on? When's this guy coming? They're your friends, your friends. Sometimes my friends... Don't do podcasts. Sometimes our friends are busy. Some friends don't want to do it, and I totally understand that. But and then sometimes if I talk to somebody, I'll wait it out. And whenever they're ready, they're ready. And I got a text from my friend here a couple weeks ago. He's like, "I'm ready to come on your pod." I'm like, "Oh my god, yes, I'm so psyched." Um, so welcome to the podcast, my brother, Mr. Tony Canal. Uh, thanks for having me, Toby. This is your first podcast. I think this is my first podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm so honored, man. This is like it's cr- we've been talking about this for years, and like. Like I said, we get busy, things happen, and I knew you were down. You know, brother, for for this to be my first podcast, uh, there's nobody else I want to do this with than thank you. Thank you. Man. We've had such a good, long friendship, and I'm uh, I know. I'm so appreciative of that. You know. Oh now, let's get into that real quick too. We played with you guys 1996 at Tramps. I don't know how we got that show, how we even got on that show, but we opened up for you guys um, when you guys were blowing up on um, I'm just a girl, whatever. Just a girl was out. But I remember playing all my friends. All the New York hardcore was there. We opened up for you guys. Some band called Water Dog opened. I think Stormy got us to show. Anyway, we played with you guys. And I think it's where we met, right? Yes, that was it. Crazy. I thought that was 95, but it was 96. 90, huh? Yeah. yeah 96. Whenever that record was out. Yeah, the, the, song, the song was released as a single, and the record came out in 95. But I think you're right. It's probably 96. But that was like a wild time. It was, <laughs> we were on this rocket ship um, that... Uh, we had been waiting to jump on, and it was yeah. just—it was so wild at that time. So that's where we met, and you, right before that, I think, as far as your like um, connection to hardcore, I think Shelter was opening up for you guys too. Or that was was that after that? Um, I don't remember if it was before. I think it was probably after. Yeah, I can't remember the 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 order of things. But anyway, yeah, yeah. That's where we met in New York, and then obviously we became close once I moved to California and hung out with you out here, and um, with all the animal rights, just everything. We'll get into that too. Yeah, but yeah, thank you for being here, man. Thanks for having me. This is really awesome, man. We're in my kitchen. We're chilling. Um, it's crazy when I have friends on that I haven't, that I've known for a long time. And then you start like doing research on like, holy shit, I didn't even know that about this guy. Because we, we, we never really sit down and talk like this. That's right. Just face to face having conversations. Yeah. Which is so important. Uh, we've had many great conversations, but um, I want to dive into, before we get into the no doubt and everything else, I want to dive into your life, which I honestly didn't even think about where you were born. I'm like, oh, it's Orange County. I don't think about shit like that. I just know you're my friend, but obviously... You were born in London, England, which is crazy. I was. I was born in London, England. Kingsbury? Kingsbury, yeah. North London. Yeah. So my parents are from India. Yes. My dad moved to England when he was 27 years old, looking for a better life. Um, there weren't really any opportunities for him in Delhi. And uh, so, yeah, he moved to England and um, started the family there. And uh, my brother was born in England, too. My brother's eight years younger than me. And um, Shout out to Neil. Yeah, Neil, the <laughs> best. best. Still my best friend in the He's world. He's awesome. The best. And uh, yeah, so I was born in London. We moved a lot when I was younger. So we moved to Canada. Yeah, uh, why'd you go to Toronto for? So we were, uh, my parents were always kind of looking for more opportunities and a better life for us. Yeah. So we moved from England to Canada, probably in 75. Moved back to England, probably in 77. Moved to... Uh, these years might be slightly off. It's okay. But then we moved to uh, Indiana, Munster, Indiana. What? So my dad's sister lived there, and she was sponsoring us for 
our green cards at the time. Mm. Um, and so we moved to Indiana for one year in 1979. Um, Do you remember Indiana? Oh yeah, because that, that was a that was shock. That was fourth grade for me, you know. And uh, man, it was. I have such strong memories of living in Munster, Indiana. It was like <laughs> it was such a you know you're a sponge at that time. You're taking everything in. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, man, was it cool? It was cool. It was cool. Yeah, but you know we moved around a lot, so I never really had friends long-term friends yeah you know you just you can't and uh you know we lived in, in indiana for one year and while we were in indiana we went to california we came to california for a vacation a summer vacation like for a week or something and my dad's like oh man this is the place my back's not gonna hurt here it's nice and warm <laughs> i was like all right so he so <laughs> he decided we're gonna move to california so we moved back to england for a little bit um, and then in 1981, we finally relocated for the last time to California. We How old were you then? I was uh, 10, okay. about to be 11. And we moved to Anaheim. Wow. And then, that, and then we've been you know, in California ever since. So, yeah. Wow. So to, from <clears throat> England to Toronto, to Indiana, to California. Yeah. Yeah. How about Toronto? Do you remember, remember Canada at yeah, all? Yeah, totally. We lived in Toronto and we moved to Ottawa as well. And uh I have good memories about that those places too. I th I think I was in a French school in Ottawa, so you know, on top of not knowing anybody, it was just like um, <laughs> really challenging and wow. difficult. Yeah. What was your dad? Was this all for different jobs he was getting? Yeah, I was just looking for 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 better opportunities. What kind of stuff did he do? Um, you know, he worked uh, on Fleet Street in London. Um, back then, uh, the first job I remember having was. Uh, he worked for a news service, so like the stories would come in, on, on like on some sort of ear pod or headphones, <laughs> and he would transcribe them, type them in, for the, for the newspapers. That was one of the early jobs he had. Uh, when we moved to California, my parents opened a ladies' fashion store called Canals Gifts and Fashions on Harbor Boulevard, six twenty five South Harbor Boulevard, wow. like a mile away from Disneyland, and it was a store that had kind of been converted into a house in the back. Okay, and um. And it really shouldn't, it really Canal was. fashion. Canals, gifts, and fashions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when that closed down, that didn't, that didn't do well. But when it closed down, we were able to use that as a rehearsal place for the first year of No Doubt. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. I have, st I have pictures from us rehearsing in that empty storefront. So. And you could open up, like, the, the, the curtains or the blinds in the front, and, like, cars would drive by, and there'd be a band rehearsing in there. So you were 11 when you moved to Anaheim. Yeah, and then by 11. the time you joined, no doubt you're 16. 16 years old. So what yeah. are those years like in between that, like like your expo exposure to music and stuff? So I never had an older brother or sister. So um, for me, a lot of the stuff was radio. So the early stuff I loved was was you know stuff that a lot of uh, kids my age were into. Uh, but it was just kind of like the big the big hits at the time. So it was yeah. Michael Jackson, and then eventually Prince. Um, Men at Work, Business as Usual was the first album I ever bought. Nice. Um, and there, was, there was a bunch more, Motley Crue and Def Leppard. It was, it was pretty eclectic and all over the place. And I was, I remember my, I was, my dad was driving me to, to junior high and it was the beginning of, of seventh grade and I was going to join the band. And I was like, I got to pick an instrument, dad. And, and Men at Work, um, Who Can It Be Now, came on the radio and the saxophone was on there. And I was like, what's that? And he goes, that's saxophone. That's my favorite instrument. I go, I think I want to play saxophone. So um, in junior high, I was, yeah. in, I was in band and I played saxophone. 
um, for those years. And then I went into high school and, and marching band and concert band and jazz band playing saxophone as well. And I didn't start, didn't pick up the bass till 10th grade. Did you love the saxophone? Uh, I wasn't that great. So Does <laughs> <laughs> your footage you playing the saxophone back then? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I got I got footage of uh, and tons of like band marching band photos. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but man, I I loved it. Like I I I loved high school. Like I have such fond memories. All the all the um the crappy stuff has somehow like been, you know, erased from my mind. Like yeah. my like I had crazy acne and and just, really? you know, you know, but I found I kind of found like maybe for the first time I kind of found my my because in junior high I remember because we had moved to California you know just just before that in junior high everybody that's when people start going to parties on yeah. the weekends and I never got invited to any parties because I didn't have any long term friends like you know wow. so I always felt like oh man that's such a so it's, it was challenging I feel like the outsider kind yeah, of yeah totally and how then, how was your grades uh, grades were good. Yeah, grades were pretty good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you weren't getting invited to the parties. You were yeah. just like playing saxophone. <laughs> no, that yeah, and then and then and then <laughs> high school came, and I think with the band, with with concert band or marching band, you know, band in high school, met more people. You 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 find your your clique. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's that was my thing. Yeah. Um, Had you been to any concerts or anything? That young yeah. Age? So the first concert I ever went to was um, Prince at the Forum. Um, in 1985 and I was a huge Prince fan I was like you know as was everybody at the time and but something just spoke to me on a, on a completely different level mm. and um, and so uh, my my really good friend Eric Carpenter um, and his older brother so Eric and I were in ninth grade and uh, his brother Dave was a senior and uh Dave took Eric and I to, to see Prince at the Forum. Wow. And um, I'll tell you a great story, that, a full circle story yeah, yeah, about that later. That scene, but yeah, yeah, but um, so that was my first exposure and it was just, it was like, it was, you know, Prince was till, till, to this day is my favorite, you know, musician, performer, artist of all time. It's transcendent when you see him, something else is happening. There's, it's magical, you know, yeah. It's magical. It's like pulling in powers of the universe. and Incredible as, guitar player. They don't really give him credit for it, too. Like Incredible. Incredible. Every instrument, dude. You watch him play bass, and you're like, I don't want to play bass anymore. That guy's so good, and mm. such a great drummer, and such a great everything, and obviously lyricist and songwriter and prolific beyond. It's um, a great first concert, man. Oh, man. That was just awesome. And yeah, and, and during those those early years, like... Went to see, I saw Springsteen at the Coliseum. So big shows first. U, yeah, yeah, U2 at, um, U2 at like maybe the sports arena. I have all the tickets saved somewhere. Wow. But Who are you rolling to those shows with? With with uh, Eric and Dave. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. That um, is so cool. Yeah, man. So, so cool of them. And so the reason I started playing bass is, uh, you know, ninth grade was ending and Dave was graduating and Dave was the bass player and Dave was cool as fuck and just you know such a great guy and mr stouffer my band director who literally just texted me a couple days ago to say hi wow that's cool so cool um he uh he's like does anybody want to try out for bass we need a bass player and i was like dave's the coolest i want to be like dave (laughs) so i put my hand up and he's like okay all right tony so i spent that summer of between 10th and um between 9th and 10th grades learning how to play bass it's awesome and um Dude, he must be so proud, man. It's crazy. He's following your journey and stuff. He's yeah, so to yeah, he, yeah. He came to he came to some shows some t- some wow. late like uh, maybe uh, you know a while ago, but he came to some shows. Yeah, Were you thinking cool. at that point 
you just wanted to learn how to play. You weren't thinking about doing music for a living or anything like that? No, 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 no. I was in band and uh, I was just, you're in high school. You're yeah. just figuring everything out. You're totally. trying, to, trying to fit in. You're trying to just see what works, what makes sense for you, what what makes your heart sing. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was also on the school paper. Um, I was doing that. I loved writing for the school paper. I have an article that I wrote about, no doubt, in the school paper. Wow. Like, uh, and, and um, man, I... And your parents I, were supportive of anything like that, like music and all that. Yeah, so I'll tell you that story once, uh, you know, the no doubt thing started. But, um, you know, at this point, I was just playing in jazz band and they were they were supportive. Yeah, because I was, you know, I was still in school and doing all, doing all my Get stuff. Good grades, and, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, everything was cool. Yeah. What about like... Uh, what about partying and stuff? Were you partying as a young kid or no? Uh, not not so much. I didn't really start partying till <laughs> till a few years into into the band. But, okay, uh, but yeah, so I you're mean, a pretty good kid. Just uh, a good kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't doing anything like that. Yeah, were your was, parents strict at all or no? Um, they were pretty pretty uh pretty cool. Yeah. They're really westernized because my dad moved um to England and then America yeah. when he was younger. So they were, you know. They're they're really I, I was I was a good kid so there's no reason for them not to to have trust in me yeah you know everything was cool but no bands before no doubt for you I mean I played with people um, just like garage bands and stuff like that yeah. having fun like getting in getting but in no shows or anything like that playing out no live. no no wow. like school talent show and stuff like that yeah, but yeah, nothing yeah. nothing like that yeah damn yeah and so the the way no doubt the way I got into no doubt was the original drummer of no doubt Chris Webb went to my high school so okay. Chris and I went to Anaheim High School and Gwen Eric John Spence went to Loire High School also in Anaheim okay and Chris came up to me one day, and he had seen me play. We had a mutual friend, Andy Stanley, who I was on the swim team with. And Andy's like, my friend Chris wants to talk to you. And I was like, cool. So Chris comes up, and he'd seen me play it like in the pet band at basketball games. <laughs> Sick. And uh, so he's like, hey, we started a band. We've played some parties. We're about to play our first club show. And it's at Fender's Ballroom in Long Beach. Come on, man. And um, would you want to come check us out? And you know we're, we're we're thinking about replacing the bass player, and so I was like, "Fuck!" You know, I would love to check you guys out. So Andy and I went, and dude, we went, and we get to Fenders, and Fenders, for people who don't know, is like the most legendary yes. punk rock mod ska, like pre before people pre alternative, like before you yeah. use the term alternative. Yeah, but it was just the the greatest place to see bands play. Were you into ska and punk at that point too or no? I was not. Okay. And even like, you know, I was familiar with some of the bands, um, but I, I was not, like it wasn't my life yet. Yeah. You know, and so here I am, 16 years old, and um, and I go to see No Doubt Play, and Andy and I went to see No Doubt Play, and we get there and we're like, fuck, we're so not dressed for this show, man. <laughs> so we were like, fuck, we're going to get our asses kicked. So we and that could happen back then, too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we go to a thrift store, and we bought shirts. What kind like, of shirts? We just bought- Checkers like, on or no? No, thrift <laughs> store, like mod, cool mod shirts. And we like, uh, we so tried funny. to fit in, but whatever. It was, dude, it was like the most incredible experience. No Doubt was the first of, I think, eight bands, and the headlining band was The Untouchables. Wow. Incredible ska band from Los Angeles. Yeah. And I watched, it, No Doubt was great. And I and I uh, I stayed, and we stayed for the end, and that was my first- 
pit and being in the, in the pit experience and it was just f- joyous it yeah. was beautiful it was just like oh my god you feel feels so alive and the untouchables were incredible just way different than arena shows you had been going to too. Yeah, like yeah. The and and by the way, only a couple, like a handful of arena shows. Yeah. They're expensive as fuck at, at the time, and and you know, few and far between. But those are my first experiences. Yeah. Of, of but music. now, like you're in the crowd, you're close to the band. This is a totally different world, dude. Yeah, it was a completely different experience. And so, you know, uh, a week later, I auditioned for the band, and uh, and it, and it worked out, and and here we were. And so, how good were your bass skills at that point? Not very good. Okay, but good enough. Yeah. And um, so <laughs> I have. It's funny you ask that because the the second no, official No Doubt show, club show. Oh my God, I'm gonna forget the name of the club, but it's on Santa Monica and Vine. Okay, and it's on the second floor. And it'll come back to me. Yeah, the Santa name Monica of the club. And Vine. Okay, it's now a boxing studio. It's like a. a, 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 a pretty successful boxers boxing okay. studio and his name is is escaping me right now too but that was a spot though yeah that was a spot and i have a, a audio cassette of that show and we're playing the song called total hate and i forgot the baseline and eric's showing, total hate yeah and eric's showing it to me on keyboards the and like he's he's wow. he's like and anyways that was my first show with no doubt and uh yeah man the rest is history so that was so I probably joined in like 87, 87, March, late March of 87. Yeah. How nervous were you for that show? Um, I'm sure I was nervous, but I was excited and you know, I did, I was playing in, in jazz band all the time. So I was playing. Yeah. But this is like a crowd. This is like a, yeah. A different. Thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, nah, it was, it was amazing. Was but, there a lot of people that people know who no doubt was at that point? So those, so er, those early shows, you know, the, the beautiful thing about, um, the the mod Scott scene at the time was it was there was a built in audience okay. so you would play with other bands and they would all come and support and all the audience would support all the bands you know and yeah. so we were part of that scene for the first couple of years and till we started experimenting with different you know styles of music and things were changing internally and stuff um, but it was like this you know the scooter rallies to those early shows you know being part of those were so exciting damn. Um, you would meet at a park and I would hop on someone's scooter and you would just go and you're just like, wow, this is crazy. But you were asking about my parents like being supportive. So, <laughs> so, you know, some of those, those shows were on weeknights and even weekends where I would get home like at three in the morning. Cause what we would always do uh, uh, with no doubt in the early years is we'd go back to Gwen and Eric's house and watch the video of the shows. Wow. Watch it back. Watch it back every night and be like, that was cool. Uh, that didn't work. It was like, it was kind of a, a thing that we did a lot. So I would get home super late and sometimes it was a school night and my parents were waiting out for me a couple of times and they're just like, what are you doing? This is not okay. I was like, mom and dad, you don't understand. This is real. This is cool. Everyone's parents are cool. Everyone, all these kids are cool. Like no one's we're safe. Every, we're safe. No one's doing drugs. Yeah. Everyone's cool. And once they, f- they came and saw us, uh, it was it was it was like all right we're in you know and my dad started to come to every show he could possibly come to and that carried on towards like you know when we were you know 10 years after that like when we're touring the world and they're, yeah. they're on the plane with us like going to going to asia you know wow. and it's just like full circle stuff is really beautiful so once you joined it just kind of took off as far as playing tons of shows like every weekend and yeah we were really selective about our shows okay i think which that was um Something Smart. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of proud of. We were kind of smart. Yeah. So 
we were fortunate that because of the scene we were in and also because of Golden Voice and Paul Tolle's mm. um, support, like from the first show that we did with him. Yeah. That support, you know, was it was so powerful and strong. And we were we could be selective about our shows and we started a mailing list, people could sign up for the mailing list. And we were really good about that. Like over the years. Like we we had mailing list parties at our houses and that like invite your friends over and this mailing list go, went from a few hundred to thousands to you know really like sizable mailing list and we would do it all in one night we'd invite everyone over and order pizzas and it would be like a, a assembly line like someone would take the flyer and fold it someone would staple it someone would put the stamp on it someone would put the return address on it wow and someone put the mailing label on it and we did that for so many years Super and, DIY. And, and it was just it was it worked you could see people because that's how you let people know you're gonna play and so you just make a fly with your tour dates on it yeah like and wow. because we didn't we didn't play we didn't overplay yeah we played often but we didn't overplay there was um you could see that people were excited to come see us play because it was a it was a special night a special moment you know and no booking agents in the beginning right just doing it yourself so yeah we didn't have a booking agent till um Probably 1990. Wow. 1990. So three, three, three more years. Yeah. Was this was this Gwen's first band? Was this everybody's kind of first real band? Yeah. So Gwen and her brother and some other um, people had a band called Applecore, like a high school band, nice. and that that kind of I think transformed into okay. what what ended up being No Doubt. Yeah. It's crazy. You joined the band in high school, man. In high school, and then you know back then, uh, Chris was in the band, and and. Um, Jerry, our guitar player, and and uh, and Alan Mead on trumpet, and Tony Mead on saxophone, and um, and, and of course Eric on keyboards, and and John Spence and Gwen were the singers, and those were some really uh, exciting early years, you know. So by the time you graduate, you're full on, right? Because you graduate what seventeen? Um, so nineteen eighty eight, yeah, I was seventeen. Yeah, I graduated yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. So when you graduate, the band's going, do you, wh what are your goals then? Is it just music or do you have to go to college too? No, we, we all started going to college. I started at Cal State Fullerton right after high school. Um, I was living at home. You majored in was, psychology? Uh, I was trying to major in psychology. That's I cool. never actually got my degree. I was like one semester short of getting it because I left on tour. But, um, <sighs> but, you know, like this is, uh, you know, one kind of pivotal moment that happened in 87 was John died. Mm -hmm. So we had two singers when we first started. It was it was Gwen and John. Okay. And John just died um December 21st, 1987 uh by suicide. Wow. And that was heavy. a really pivotal moment for our band and and um it was really heavy for some of the band members. Can imagine. And, and so there were some changes that happened over the next few years and you know in 88 Tom uh joined the band. Yeah. And in 89 Adrian joined the band and you know that became you know that became the the, the classic lineup. That were they were they your friends before they joined? They weren't. So uh, we used to rehearse at this place called Stomp Box in Anaheim. We'd rehearse every Thursday and every Sunday, like without fail. Yeah. And uh, that was just kind of the thing. You had to be there. You guys are so focused. And everyone pitched in. I have this book at home where we kept track of everyone. So it was like, you know, like. 10 bucks an hour depending on the room and if you wanted a PA it was another 2 or 3 bucks an hour wow. so we do 3 hour rehearsals 
So everyone would have to pitch in three or four bucks and we'd keep track. Like we'd have this book that <laughs> kept track. Like, so, so that way if you didn't have money that night, cause sometimes you don't have money and like, you know, like maybe you can make up for it the next time. Wow. And, um, it was super a, organized. It was, man. it was, yeah, we were kind of on, on top of our shit. It was good. But we put a, <laughs> when, when, um, our original guitar player left, we put, um, don't use his phone out. Ladies and gentlemen. brother. I'll call him back. Um, should I tell him? <laughs> sure. Hey, bro. Hey, I'm good. I'm doing. I'm doing Toby's podcast. What's right up, now. Neil? What's up, Neil? We're live on the podcast. We're we're doing it right now. So cool. I'll call you back afterwards. Okay, cool. Bye. Shout out to Neil. But uh, okay, so 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 we put a flyer up at Stompbox when our original guitar player left, mm. and uh, and Tom called us and we tried out and you know Tom came from the heavy metal world. But he was a shredder, man. He was such a, he still, obviously yeah. still is, an incredible guitar player. He took our musicianship of the band up 10 notches. He's just such so he was a, a heavy metal dude? He was a heavy That's metal cool. dude. Did he have long hair and stuff? He did. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you cool. know, so we all came from like different places. Yeah. And, and so that's why, no doubt, music became so eclectic in those early years. You know, yeah. Eric, Eric, um, was hugely influenced by madness and the specials and the English beat and, uh, and, uh, the selector and all these bands, incredible bands, you know, hugely influential on no doubt. And, um, you know, I, I maybe brought in like the, some different influences, the Princey and the funk stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, Tom brought in the, the metal stuff and then Adrian joined us a year later. So Adrian was a fan. He was coming to see us play and, when our original drummer left, um, we put the word out, and we had this demo tape we were selling at the shows. Maybe I was going to ask you about that. Be the demo, two, yeah. two or three songs. That, so Adrian practiced to those songs. He'd only been playing for a little bit, but he came in. He's like, "Yeah, I've been playing for a while," and <laughs> he knew those songs like really well. And, and you know, he had so much energy and and positivity. He was such a vibrant. Still does. Still man. does. Such still a does. vibrant human being, and um, and we chose Adrian to be the drummer, and that was um. That's amazing. That was awesome. And then like kind of the lineup was solidified and you know, that was a lineup for the next uh you know few years while make up till the point of making Tragic Kingdom. Any of the songs in the demos make it to the album? No. Okay. No. Wow. No, those were early. So those days. demos are around somewhere. They yeah. are, they are, they're out there. I've seen bootlegs, I've seen vinyl bootlegs. People have put those things together. Wow. A lot of great songs and you know, no doubt. There's a self titled song called No Doubt and Everything's wrong, and uh, the early version of Total Hate, and uh, bouncing shoes, and showing wow. off, and man, all these songs. I wonder are if out bouncing shoes got their name from that song, bouncing shoes. I don't know, about. but this, all these songs are out there in the ether, and we obviously have like recordings of them in the basement somewhere. So, are you looking? Are you looking? For, I know Endoscope signed you guys in '91. Are you looking for a deal, or and were there other labels like coming at you? There was we we. You know, we were building our fan base like in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, mostly in Southern California, but we were starting to expand to Northern California and we'd make, we'd do these car caravans to Arizona and Colorado and, and, um, wow. And, uh, yeah, man. Were the shows getting bigger? Yeah, they were getting bigger. They were getting bigger. Like yeah, what's big? A couple hundred back then, probably? Well, we would, we would be able to go up and headline the Roxy and the Whiskey and yep. send those places out. And, um, you know, that was the other thing. Like, there wasn't a lot of places to play in Orange County. Mm -hmm. So you'd make the trek up to the, the Sunset Strip yeah. and play the Roxy and the Whiskey, and we were able to play those places. And Which is awesome. Them. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
wow. it was exciting, dude. It was just exciting. Like we you were, were so young too. We we're young. It was all of us against the world. We were building this fan base. We had our shit together for the most part, and it was just a beautiful, creative time. I have such incredibly fond memories because we were all on the same page. Yeah. And so were you like twenty one when you get signed Interscope, probably. Yeah, we were. It was nineteen ninety one. Yes. And um, and our first agent was this, this guy named Darren Murphy, great guy, and he was at William Morris, and he had seen us play opening for Mano Chow at the Roxy or the Whiskey, and he's like, man, he reached out, and we started working together, and he introduced us to a gentleman named Tony Ferguson, who was at Interscope Records. And Tony was English, and he kind of appreciated the the ska elements mm. of the band, the reggae stuff that we love so much. And Tony signed us. You know, there were some other labels, but none of them were really that interested. I've got some letters, rejection letters from some labels. Wow. Um, which I should frame and put up at you some should. point. But um, Tony signed us to Interscope in 1991. So, you know, back then Interscope was um, Gerardo Primus. Um, us, and then eventually, doc maybe Dr. Dre was already there. You know, wow. just like it was like early days of Interscope. Yeah, Primus days. Primus days. Primus was big, man. Yeah, it was a big band. So you get so so you get signed. That, that's like your first deal, is that right? That was our first deal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then once you sign, are, are you are you working at that point? Obviously, working jobs. And All of us are working. All of us are going to school. So you're in college. Are you still at home or back in Hawaii? No, I was still living at home. So, wow. so full-time in college and f uh, f a job. I was working at the Broadway department store in Anaheim. And so was Gwen. Everybody had jobs. And, you know, I just heard Adrian do an interview and it reminded me, like, we would we would survive off of Del Taco at the time. They had, they had like, bean burritos for thir three for a dollar. Wow. And so we, That's like, good. literally, like, we'd... I remember those days you'd, you'd go fill up gas in your car. You put a couple bucks in because that's all you had. And then you'd go like look for change in the car and go and you'd be like, shit, I can get three burritos right now after, wow, after stomp box rehearsals in Anaheim. But, uh, we were all working and, and uh, you live at home when you signed. Probably I was 21 living at home when I signed. Wow, yeah. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah, man. Did it all from my parents still live in that same house that my bedroom was downstairs and, um, I still, when I take the kids over there, because we go visit my parents pretty often, and I, I tell the kids, like, this is, this was my bedroom, it's my dad's office now, but this was the bedroom, and this is, like, where, you know, run, no doubt, out of, like, the business stuff was out it's of amazing, this room, man. and and then we, I eventually wrote, like, spider webs and Sunday morning in this room, and it's just, like, so much history there. Fuck. Yeah. So, even, so even when you sign it, Interscope, um... Still, you still like home, and then you make the first record. So we make the first record. When the first record was, was yeah. really low budget, and the way that record worked was Interscope gave us a small budget, and so we recorded that record um, in a studio in a building that's on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. But the hours we would get were late at night. Mm. Like you, you can start recording at 10 p.m. and you can record till 2 a.m. Those were the hours that. It's brutal. We could, so we would, we would go load in the freight elevator. We'd drive up, load in the freight elevator, record all night, and then drive home. And we'd have school or work in the morning. And we did that for months, making that first album. Crazy, man. 
And so, is there any expectations for that record for you guys? Are you excited? You think like? Well, we we were excited to go on the road. Yeah. Um, and now we had the the means to go out in a van. Um, and Not tour cars. To, yeah, tour the country. <laughs> yeah. So we could we could rent rent a van, and it started with a van and a trailer, and then it moved to two vans, and you know we had the horn section. So there's a, there's a quite a few people and a couple crew guys. Um, and so we would we did three van tours in 1992, and that we, we would be yeah we'd be out there, and man we could we'd go into record stores and we couldn't find our record. It was so disheartening, and it was just like man we're out here playing and you're you know even if you're and some of those shows dude there's like hardly anyone there. We, I, I remember Oxford Mississippi, the only reason there were people even there is because Adrian met some people at the motel we're staying at and he's like, you guys got to come see our no band play. Way. And so they came and there wow. was, there was more people on stage than there were in the audience. And so we would like take turns jumping off the stage and like, so we could balance that out. <laughs> it's just like, it was <laughs> like going the crowd. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's just such great wow. memories. Cause like you're out there, you're finally doing it, you know? And, um, the, the, the hard part about that was not seeing our record in stores. Brutal, it was man. like this, that should have been just the easiest thing that should have happened. And I think Interscope really didn't know what to do with us. Tony's heart was in the right place, but Interscope didn't know what to do with us. And look at that time too, um, grunge was exploding mm. and we were, you know, the, the opposite of that. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, the idea of us ever being on the radio, you know, wasn't, it wasn't really uh it wasn't playing out and how'd that record do it according did, to ninja webs it did like thirty thousand. Thirty thousand, yeah that's pretty like good that. yeah for for our debut record but you know but yeah it was look everything got us to where we yeah where we are now right yeah so all those things i think it was it was humbling as an experience but maybe it Increased our motivation, our fortitude, and like yeah. you, you know, you now you come back home, and you're like, okay, let's do, let's let's make the next record. Yeah, and so which we, came out like three years later or something. Three years later, yeah. so we started writing for what would be Tragic Kingdom. Yeah, and once again, Interscope really didn't know what to do with us, so we spent all of so now we're looking at ninety three, ninety four, writing Tragic Kingdom, and they would release some funds for us to go in the studio continually ask us to to um write more stuff it was a really challenging process did you and feel pressure we we felt um and some 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 moments you kind of feel helpless yeah because they're in charge of the budget and you're trying to make things happen so we'd go up and record and i think that record was recorded over 11 studios over two and a half years wow um and matthew wilder came in to produce that record and and um and during that process, Eric got disenchanted, like I think with the whole process, because it was challenging. And he eventually left in 94. And Before that came out. Before it came out. Wow. So, Oh, and, and then the other thing that happened is we knew there was a bunch of songs that weren't going to actually make the Tragic Kingdom record. And since there was so much time in between, and we were kind of being strung along by the record label. Yeah. We decided to put it out independently. Mm. We just did it ourselves, and that ended up being the Beacon Street Collection. Yeah. And it's, it's B sides to Tragic Kingdom, but it came out in March of '95, as opposed to and Tragic Kingdom came out like six months later. It did yeah. So we put out Beacon Street, and was we Beacon sold Street that. Where the studio was at, something. 
So Beacon Street was the house that um, belonged to uh, Gwen's family, her grandparents, and Eric, Tom, Adrian, and Eric Keys lived in that house. Wow. Okay. And that's so we built a we built we took some of the funds that we got from. Uh, the record company yeah and we built a studio and we did all the demos for tragic kingdom and what ended up being the songs for beacon street in that garage okay wow and that was that was that was cool that was really cool it was a really creative time um eric left the band sometime in 94 he just wasn't feeling it anymore but now we were playing we we're still playing our shows of and building building Fan those days. shows up yeah during that time but not really doing tours, just playing locally. So in ninety three, ninety four, we just mostly local. But we would go out to like um, Northern California, and we'd go to Arizona and the Colorado. shows are getting bigger now. If yeah. you want it, yeah, yeah. And is uh, it your full time thing at that point? Yeah, or no? <laughs> man. We were still going to school, but every time we'd leave <laughs> on a tour, I'd be like, "I'm leaving." And I eventually left the Broadway department store, and I was working my last job that wasn't musical music related. I was working in the Office of Admissions and Records at Cal State Fullerton. Wow. And at some point in 95, we were about to embark on the Tragic Kingdom tour, and I told my boss, Judy. She was awesome. I was like, Shout to Judy. I'm, I'm like, I'm leaving again, but please save this position for me when I get back from this tour. Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Right no, that's pretty amazing. But, that, that was your last real that job. That was my last real job. Yeah. Wow. And it was probably like, dude, I, I want to say like minimum wage back then was like three thirty-five. Was say three something. Yeah, yeah, three something an hour. Um, and that was my last and real you job. You never came back. No, that that tra- you know. So Record we put out Beacon Street rec- Beacon Street Collection, and then um, what happened was with the Tragic Kingdom record is like I was saying, Interscope really didn't know what to do with us. Uh, and Tony Ferguson always had his heart in the right place. But um, when it was time to mix Tragic Kingdom, a gentleman named Paul Palmer was brought on to mix the record. And Paul and his partner, Rob Kahane, had a label, a boutique label called Trauma Records. Remember that. And Trauma had success with a band called Bush. And so Paul said, hey, we went to Interscope and said, hey, we're really feeling this album. Let's do a, a, a deal. Let us the record out and um let's see what happens we've had this this radio success with uh with with bush and so interscope was like yeah go for it you know i like i said they didn't really know what to do with us and i think they was just like uh whatever you know and um trauma really put the work in the time in got us on the radio and first time on the radio the first time on the radio i remember hearing just a girl for the first time on the radio we were all together and it was just Super. It was on the Kevin and Bean show on K Rock, and it was so exciting. It was just like it was surreal, like you're out, of, like out of body experience. Because yeah. we grew up on K Rock, mm-hmm. you know, it was a local station here. We grew up on that station, yeah. So to be on that station was such a big deal, and um, yeah, man. And then the, the what ro- is Interscope saying then when that happens? They're like, okay, they were stoked. You yeah. know, it's like they had no idea that the thing was going to be the rocket ship it was you know? so the song was on there but there's no video yet or nothing yet correct um the song was on the radio and then because it started spreading like wildfire the, the like we were on tour and i remember coming home making the just a goal video and literally leaving for the airport again to go wherever we were going wow. that night that's how it was um and that's how it was for two, 28 months 
we left on the Tragic Kingdom tour and we were gone for 28 months. Jesus. Yeah, man. But you you were feeling that on the, like the crowds were probably getting bigger, the song was spreading like Oh yeah. You're yeah. in this moment where it's it like was, it changed from like a local California thing to or I should say a West Coast thing, it changed to a worldwide thing. It was fast. We, we we went around the the the, the world three times on that tour. <sighs> it was incredible and the video takes off too once it gets sent to whatever the video takes off on mtv and um man we it's like yeah, you, you couldn't be in you couldn't be everywhere at once there was too many places to be and it was incredible i can't imagine that feeling man too because you've been doing it since 87 it's like yeah yeah it was finally happening yeah and you know we, we'd had those conversations when we're making tragic Kingdom because it was a tough record to make like okay if we'll put this record out and if it if it doesn't work you know we'll just finish school and so no expectations for that from you guys not like no not at all not at all don't you get, knew there was some don't, good songs don't get me wrong we were having the time of our lives still having fun the band yeah. the band was our life you know i remember being in college and i i would sit there and all i could think about was band stuff i was like making notes for like gotta call this person and don't forget to call this person and book this show and tighten up this flyer and, and, and you know, plan this. Yeah. So, so you, leave, you left college for this. Left you, college. You didn't finish yeah. yeah. And like, look, I was in college, but I, I got to say like my heart was in the band. Of course. Because uh, college was just like, you're kind of just doing it, you know? Were your parents bummed when that happened? They, they, they got it. No, they totally got it because mm. the band was blowing up. Like it was. They were like, probably tripping too. Yeah, they were tripping. Yeah, it was like, like we were on magazine covers and we we're on MTV and it was, it it was incredible, and how does how does that affect your life financially at that point? It doesn't really happen like that fast. As far as like, okay, I don't have to really I don't have to work there. I can move out or get a spot. Like, stuff. you still living at home at that point? I was I was living at home till I got back from the Tragic Kingdom tour. So while while um just a girl is on the radio and MTV and blowing up, you're still at home. Still at home, that's fucking crazy. dude. Not just a girl, just a girl in spiderwebs and don't speak. And you still—that's crazy. You know, it, it wasn't until I got home from that tour that I actually had a chance to go. Yeah. Oh man, I can go get my own place now. And I moved to LA at that point in 1998. I got my place in LA. Yeah. So the record starts selling crazy too at that point. Obviously. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, was the full record out, or was just a single was out at first? Um, no, the full record came out like a few months after the single or maybe a month after the single. And does that do, I know worldwide it's like 16 million or something now, but does it, does it go platinum or, you know, gold first really fast? Um, it, it, it took it some time. So the first year was just like, you see these incremental jumps and you're, you know, you're touring and you're just watching it happen. And then all of a sudden, I believe it was the summer of 96, uh, sorry, the the winter, the holidays of 96. That's when you're looking at SoundScan and you're just seeing like a week of like weeks of half a million records sold in in the United States. And Seriously. I know like all the metrics are different now, but at the time that was just like wild. Like, you know, it's like, this is so much bigger than all of us. This is taken on a life of its own. People have connected in such a beautiful way to the songs, to the band, to the story of the band to the um they can relate to the heartbreak in the songs yeah um it was real it was a it was a pop culture moment that we were so fortunate to be part of you know and um like not six. for not one second did we ever take any of that for granted yeah there's like six singles off that it's crazy six videos at least 
there was yeah was there six maybe five five or six according to the interwebs it's like six but yeah it's crazy though just a girl and so obviously you and Gwen were dating from 87 to 94 so that ended before this record came out kind of right it did yeah so those that songs the songs off those records are inspired by obviously relationship which so when is also beautiful too but when Eric left um, it, it created this vacuum in the band and it forced us to step up as songwriters and you know out of that time came Just a Girl and Spiderwebs and Sunday Morning and, and Gwen found her voice as a lyricist and um, and uh, you know Eric still has a, had a huge uh, songwriting um, yeah. impact on, on Tragic Kingdom on yeah. that album obviously Um but there was there was a it was a different time we were all starting to write much more than we had been in the past we had been writing but not uh, yeah not that much uh, not as much as what ended up happening yeah and you guys and you guys are together as like kids like teenagers basically yeah and then then you then you're in the band together and the band just explodes and then it's like just having a relationship and being in a band and dealing with all that i'm sure it was it's a lot dude it was a lot we um you know, we always tell the story of being on the road for Tragic Kingdom on the tour. And so everybody in every part of the world wanted to talk about the breakup. Yes. I remember that too, actually. And being in those interviews together, the four of us, and the dynamics between all of us. And it was like, she and I were, you know, trying to heal the relationship. And it was like a scab that kept getting picked off sure man sometimes 15 times a day because at that time we were doing eight hours of press every day because there was so much so many people that wanted to talk to us yeah and then we were playing at night it's a lot and you're in each country for maybe a day or two yeah and you're going to every country and doing press and every doing country press and it was exhausting emotionally physically mentally um but i will say this we got through it yeah we got through it and it made some amazing music from it too. made some amazing music from it and we got through it and you know like the band wouldn't be the band without those hardships and without yeah. all that stuff we those went songs through. inspired by that too that's right that's right and um, we, was there a point where, like we're not gonna answer these questions no more. we're not talking about them anymore um i'm sure there were those points yeah. i'm sure like a lot of humor came in and we probably just started clowning around in interviews at some point because it just didn't matter anymore yeah. the story was out there but people were asking the same questions so we were just fucking around at some point yeah. it didn't you know it was like you know and you toured on that for a couple of years man. yeah a yeah, long time yeah, man yeah. probably the longest the band's really toured on that i know toured in one album because there's just so many singles there was so many different layers to that record yeah and, and we could have honestly we could have kept going like, it was just was growing still, right there was still we could have kept going at the end of it but we were burnt and it was time to it was time to work on new music yeah so a couple so how long were the tours like three years maybe on it that tragic kingdom tour i feel like i feel like the number the 28 months is stuck in my head because it's like five years to the next record yeah so we were out on the road for you know a long time two and a half years on on tragic kingdom and then we started working on what would become return of saturn um for, for Tragic Kingdom, is there a point in those years where you actually you're making money now, obviously, and then you yes. get your own place, and yes. that's like yes. a whole different level of living for you. A whole different level. Because you guys been struggling for so long, and yes. just yeah. super DIY about it, and then all of a sudden you have this money where you can... You, you, bought, you bought your first house back then? Bought my first house, and, and 
it's it's a it's a beautiful thing because you're you're making music and you're making a living doing music. Yeah, and it's it's the ultimate goal of musicians, you know, to be able to support yourself. It's got to be surreal too at th- at that age too, and just happening so fast. Yeah, I mean, look, we were we were at this point in our mid to late twenties, so and. You know, Adrian said this in an interview I just heard recently. He's like, if we had had that kind of success on our first album, it might have been a different experience. Mm. But we didn't. That first album in 92 didn't have commercial success. Yeah. Didn't. It's a good thing. Afford us to to support ourselves. So, you know, that experience maybe um, prepared us for, for the rocket ship that Tragic Kingdom was. Yeah. And so you start, you start kind of, um, you said early, really partying as a kid. Were you partying during that time? Tragic Kingdom, yeah. We started really enjoying ourselves. Like, yeah, we were out, like, living that life. having after parties and stuff like that. It was really fun. And then I moved to LA. So I was living, Ooh. I was living close to Hollywood. So I was out, you know, a lot when I was home. Did you get caught up in that kind of world of like success and money and um, partying? I, 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 I hope to think not. Yeah. You know, I think I've, I was, I think because we all came from like, pretty awesome backgrounds yeah and great families i think that we were able to get caught up in that to, to to main like find that balance you know like also work was really important to us making tragic kingdom was like a commitment we we um i mean making return of saturn after that uh was a commitment we there was a lot of pressure for that it, there was a lot of pressure and i think the ultimate unspoken goal was to prove ourselves as songwriters mm. and as musicians i think that's what we really wanted to do on that that album yeah so we rented this house in the Hollywood Hills um, and we got it for six months and we rented it so we could kind of get there together every day. It's nice. Um, this is early 98 and I hadn't bought my house yet so I was living in that house. Oh, sure, okay. And, um, and Tom, Adrian, and Gwen had all bought their houses at this point. So we would get together every day at this house and we had a recording studio set up in there and we we wrote return of saturn in that studio wow and um and yeah man that that record took a couple years to write too yeah i'm Uh, sure there's crazy pressure coming off of tragic kingdom yeah and was the label kind of have putting pressure on you too or no there was we have to have hits we have to have hits there was pressure on all sides yeah you know um and mostly like you want to like how do you follow up tragic kingdom Mm -hmm. that's a big record and you know the which way, is not your sophomore album either yeah third so it's different yeah like, yeah and the way it played out is good because we made a record that i'm extremely proud of i'm really proud of that album great what album. we did on the album we pushed ourselves as writers and artists and musicians and it took a couple of years to make and we went out and toured it and um and it didn't do commercially what Tragic Kingdom had done, sales-wise. But I think great songs in there, man. It, it just like, you know, that's one of our fan favorites. Like if you look, mm. like people love that album. I love that album. Yeah. I'm so proud of that album. And um, once again, just another great period of our lives. Like, wouldn't change it for anything. Well, obviously we're talking about that record, but I want to go back for one second. There's a amazing. I don't know if it happened now or happened. During the Gwen uh, solo records, but this Prince story, you guys hanging out with Prince, is that is this around this time or no? Like going to his house? Yeah. So the first time pre veganism. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. The first time um, we got to meet Prince was in 1997. We're playing the Target Arena in Minneapolis. Dang. And um, so Adrian's wife Nina 
um, had worked in the Prince camp before, and she's like, Prince wants to come to the show, and we we're like, what? For you especially, man. Oh, man, it was next level. I, and, you know, dude, I, we, you know, oh, man, it was such a big deal. But so they told us he's going to come to the show, and he'll come he'll enter the arena after uh, the <laughs> lights the uh, after the lights have gone down which makes sense wow. you know? so so, so so like uh, so we're playing and we know he's going to walk in and then you see his silhouette walking to the soundboard with his entourage Dude. and uh, so you're playing the show thinking prince is watching us play right now so we're really i was especially me i was really vocal about how big an influence Prince totally yeah. was on me. So every interview I talked about it, and you know, still talking. You think about you it. knew that? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, we've talked about that. He told me he, he saw that stuff. And, awesome. And so, anyways, he invites us back to Paisley Park that night, and we're all so scared and intimidated. I'd be and, so scared. And so we went, and and I remember like seeing him for the first time, and we were walking, and he's coming down from his bedroom. And I swear he floated down those stairs, man. <laughs> and afterwards we're like, did he float down those stairs? And everyone's like, yeah, he floated down those stairs. And then he uh, he gave us a tour of the place and we hung out. And then he invited us to jam with him. Dude. And none of us were, were ready for this. And, and <laughs> I think it just kind of fall f- fell flat on its face. Like it was just like we were so intimidated and scared and nervous. And we tried to do some some grooves and stuff, and it was just like, oh man, that is so surreal, man. It's surreal. But that was the first time meeting him. Um, Super cool, though, right? It was. It was. It was great. It was great. And then we we went back again in 1999. Um, So what happened was, uh, he had reached out to Gwen and wanted her to sing on one of his songs, and he goes, in exchange, I'll work with you you guys on any one of your songs. So, she did the song with him. And then we ended up doing, we sent him the song called Waiting Room, and he kind of reworked it, added some parts, and then he flew us all out to Minneapolis. Um, this is before Return to Saturn too, right? Right before. <clears throat> it had to be, because that came out in 2000, yeah. Yeah, it was before Return of Saturn came out, but it was during the writing of Return okay. of Saturn. So we thought it was going to be for Return of Saturn, gotcha. I think, at the time, but um, it didn't end up. You know, maybe I'm a little confused on the time, but it obviously it ended up coming out on Rocksteady. Yeah. Um, but we went to Minneapolis uh, and uh, to Paisley Park in Chanhassen, and, and he, uh, he, we ended up doing the vocals, Gwen's vocals, there, and then we came In back. front of him? She did it with him. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, we, we weren't in the room. Like, we were, we were in another room, like, practicing our parts. Was she stuff. a fan, too, probably? Oh, yeah. yeah. Every, everyone was. Yeah. And so, it's hard not to be. But that's when I got to have some good conversations with him. Like, um, we were in the diner at his, uh, his studio, and it was time to order lunch. And, and I was like, like, I'd like to get a cheeseburger. And he goes, you can get a cheeseburger. You just can't have it here. So and it kind of went over my head, and I yeah. just, like, it didn't really, like, impact me. This is... Um, pre-veganism oh yeah but that has resonated with me so much in my in my later years because you know when i went vegan like we don't we don't allow any animal products in our house either so i totally respect and understand what he was saying at that time you know it's crazy Um, yeah man it's just like especially from from him how important he was to you you yeah so much And, and it didn't resonate till later you know what did he give you instead of the burger I, I can't ate? remember what we ordered. Maybe Thai food or something like that. Some vegetarian Thai food. 
it's so cool to have that moment so I know. just with him like those. I know. And then also when you went, you got to go see him at the four we sat in the same seat, correct? Yeah, so check this out. So so then then I would see him at clubs in LA during like the the late nineties and early two thousands and stuff. And um You run into him. We'd run into yeah, see him always a, cool. A lot, a lot. Yeah. And uh, we talk a little bit at those clubs, but it was like a club situation. So you're not going to have like deep conversations. But yeah, the last real time that we hung out with him was in 2011. He was doing 21 nights at the forum before, right. before they redid the forum. And he was having different guests come up and sing with him each night. So mm. he invited Gwen to sing on one of those nights. And we were in the studio making Push and Shove, our last album. Yep. And so I got to go with her to soundcheck. And... Um, and they put us in a green room and the band was on stage warming up and then he came in the green room and he hung out with us, the two of us, for like 45 minutes and he was telling jokes and he's hilarious and it was awesome and that was the last hang, hang, you know, it's years before he passed. But um, but then it, then they went to soundcheck and I, I have the ticket from my forum show in 1985 yeah, for sure, yeah. framed in my house and I called my wife, I called Aaron up and I said, baby, tell me where I sat and she gave me the seat number, and this was before they redid the forum. So I got in, so went and sat in that seat, and afterwards I was like, "Dude, I just sat in the seat that I saw you in when I was fourteen years so old." Crazy, yeah, man. man, and and uh, it was so full circle that moment. Being able to tell him that, yeah, was such a cool thing. W- were you comfortable with that point, like just hanging out? I'm sure the first time you met him was surreal, like he was floating. Yeah. But then by that time you you become kind of friends. You see him, and it's no, just like not at it all. It doesn't get normal, does it? Not for me. No. There's like an aura about him. There's next level stuff, you know, like um, just when he walks uh, in. Just uh, yeah, I was never ever comfortable enough to have a n- normal conversation with him. I was always guarded or intimidated or nervous or scared, and and. Uh, just that was that was the those were the conversations you know and when like when he passed it tripped me out because same with michael jackson you think these people are like are going to be here for like they're invincible like it's prince he, he's going to always it's weird when that the, it was so it was pretty heavy 100 percent. i never thought that that guy would ever leave this planet no, you just man. never think about it you know um it's very surreal and man. you had called me mm. you would call me and uh, i remember you called me and you go are you watching the news and oh. i had been watching but they it was to me, it was like someone passed away at Paisley Park, and that's right. And then I was like, "Ah, oh, well, it's not him. Someone passed away there." It didn't even didn't even dawn on me that it could be him. Mm. And then you call me, go, "They're saying it's him," and I was like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" Then I turned, changed the channel, and I was like, "Oh, fuck, it's him!" Oh my god! Yeah, and uh, I remember that moment, and it was just so devastating, and, and it's just like, um, you know, not being able to go see him play. Yeah. anymore is just so heartbreaking because it was so transcendent when he performed it's like it was like a, a, a spiritual experience it was like yeah. so next level watching this this um incredible performer and you know it was it was not human what we have such happening. great memories with him though it's beautiful man you great memories and, and great shows great shows i went to the this venue called the grove maybe a couple years before he passed and it, down in Anaheim. I went with you. You got me tickets. So we went to that? Yeah, with the girl band. And we got to walk to the stage. It was like no barricade. That's the one. Yeah. And he played two shows each <laughs> night for two nights. And I went to all four shows. Okay, I went to one of them. Yeah. You, and that was like next level. Like, yes. Because you're right there. And you could like walk to the stage. Walk it was to cr- the, oh, yeah. It was so spectacular. I got yeah. to be on stage with my Jimmy Kimmel once. Nice. And uh, this is a true story. He was standing right in front of my wife. And my wife was like... 
My wife wanted to grab his butt. She's like, his butt's so cute. She wanted to grab his butt. It was like right in front of us. She never did. There was big security there. Yeah. He was like arm reach from us. It was, he's like, so sh- it's, it's surreal. It's surreal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's amazing. Yeah. Are there some other people you met throughout your life that you got to work with like that? That you loved, admired so much? Um, Elvis Costello was mm. a big one. We, we grew up on Elvis Costello. And, oh yeah. Uh, we got to do a song that, that he wrote for the Rugrats soundtrack. Uh, back in the 90s, late 90s. So that must have been awesome too. That was yeah. great, yeah. He's another incredible um, songwriter, artist. That's yeah, amazing. Man. Yeah. I'm going to go back to my notes. Yeah, right. Um. So so we turned to Saturn, obviously. So now, obviously, you're making a record. There's a lot of pressure from Tragic Kingdom. And, and also now you and Gwen are just friends. So there's like, no, now like the song, is does that change with the songwriting with the band when, when there's no relationship there? Or is it just straight? You're just bandmates now. It's just normal. I mean, we went I mean? we went through a really awesome creative period together. Yeah, uh, uh, as ex boyfriend, ex girlfriend. Yeah, uh, but also as a band, like with Tom and Adrian, and and the creative process was really um, beautiful for for the next couple albums. You yeah, know? it was it was it was good. I feel like we got over the hardships of the breakup, and um, I'm really proud of what we accomplished. Um, you know, as far as writing together yeah a- after that and then we rock steady i feel like that that was a pretty big record i feel like those songs uh hey baby hella good underneath it all running all those that's like another four big songs off there so rock steady was a really um the best way to describe it is fun record to make so what had happened is after we put tragic uh, return of saturn out we had i think the gloves were off like we had just i felt like we had we felt like we had proven ourselves and we had really accomplished what we wanted to accomplish um, artistically on on Return of Saturn. Was and the label stoked on that? How it did? Um, it doesn't really matter, but I don't I don't know. Probably not as much as Tragic did you, Kingdom. Did you, did you tour a lot on Return of Saturn? <laughs> we toured a bit, but it wasn't anywhere close to the touring that we did on Tragic Kingdom. So the thing that was great about Rocksteady is that that was the this was the first time. We started writing that record in January, and we put it out in December. This is the first time we wrote. It's recorded. pretty quick. From it's a really fast album to write. Yeah, and we started writing it in L.A., um, and we traveled a bit on that album. So we made this list of people we wanted to work with, like a kind of a dream list, and um, we went out and did it. And we we went to Jamaica and worked with Sly and Robbie and Steely Sick. and Cleavy, and uh, with uh, Bounty Killer and Lady Saw. We were in England with Nelly Hooper. Um, we, uh, yeah, we, 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 we kind of like traveled a bit for that album, and it, we, it was, cool. it was really f- a fast album for us to write and make. We were having so much fun, and one of the reasons it was fun is this was the the time when we were going to clubs every night, and that you can tell because it was so influential on, yeah. on the music we were making. It was a dance record for totally. the most part, and man, we were at like reggae clubs and dance hall clubs and and all these clubs like every night it was a party and life was a party yeah and the touring for return of saturn became a party and so i think that spirit carried over into making rock steady mm-hmm. and it was just about having a really good time and and i, th- I feel like you can hear that in the album yeah i love I'm, the videos for all the songs really i, proud I love of the bass album. i felt like good it's so good i'm so proud of the album like we 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 kind of just just had fun making it. Yeah. Did, did you tour on that one a long time too or no? Yeah, we toured on that one. But once again, I don't know how much 
we I guess we did go overseas on that a bit, but not anywhere close to what we had done um, for Tragic Kingdom. But yeah, we toured on that one for a good year. Yeah. Yep. And then the singles came out, which is great, which I love. I feel like um, it's my life. I, I love. I like that version better than Talk Talk. Ooh, I, I really do, that's, man. That's blasphemous. Like there, you'd have a lot of people who tell you that. Sorry, man. <laughs> I, I, and may, maybe because I wasn't like a. Um, I heard that song before, and I wasn't like a familiar with that band. But I just love that version. So I think it's a great version, man. Uh, I, I really do. The, the The original version is spectacular, and and those guys were great songwriters, and and it was. Um, an honor to be able to cover that song because uh, it's such a great song and yeah. I, ho- I hope we did it justice. But the single was, yeah, then um, another B-Sides came out. Then, then it was a crazy hiatus where the band took a hiatus for a long time. We man. did. We did. Gwen was doing her solo records. And, um, and were you guys kind of burnt at that moment too? I don't know if we were burnt, but we were um, giving her the space to do her thing. And, uh, you know... And you all got families. Everybody's just kind of like, life is just... Yeah, I hadn't started my... F- I, you know, I was with my wife, but we hadn't started our family yet. But Tom definitely and Adrian definitely and Gwen definitely had started their, you know, having kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what what was supposed to be just a short hiatus ended up being a very, very long hiatus. Um, 2004 so, to like 2012, yeah, or 2003, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so during that time, you, you I mean... You obviously worked on some of the songs for her solo records with her too, and like yeah, we were still in a really great creative place together, and I did some songs for her first two solo albums. Yep. And you're producing too. You're doing yeah. I was doing some writing o- for Pink, uh, Weezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing, awesome. I was I was doing some other stuff, and and uh, it was a really fun time. I worked with this great guy named Jimmy Harry, still a good friend, and and Jimmy and I did some projects together, and. Uh, yeah, man. The first thing I did was I, d- I produced a few songs for that Fifty First States movie. Yeah, Ghost and You, Mark McGrath. Yep, and uh, th- those were fun. Also, Hold Me Now, Wayne Wonder. Uh huh. I love Wayne Wonder. Yeah, yeah. He had, a, he had some great songs. I didn't he, know you did that until I did a deep dive. It was awesome. Yeah. So that was that was like the first foray into into other stuff, and then Gwen solo records and working with some other artists, and yeah, it was a really cool time. And then you know, no doubt, started trying to write again in two thousand eight. And enough time had passed where I think we had lost a little bit of our mojo. Yeah, of course. And we were having so we were having a tough time writing, and then the suggestion came from our manager. Um, to work with other writers. No, 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 no. That that we had kind of experimented with on Rocksteady okay, years right, before. Yeah. So he he he's like, you guys should go tour. So I maybe did those shows out here too. Two thousand nine was like the biggest tour we had ever done. Wow. And Is I was you took Paramount on that one. Yeah, yes. I was I was reluctant to do that tour. I was like, I don't want to tour without new music. And then, you know, it was kind of it, there was the idea like you could. This might inspire new music, and so I I finally acquiesced, and and I I was totally wrong in not wanting to tour because it ended up being the biggest tour we ever did, the most successful tour we ever did. And uh, and it was incredibly fun, man. We were just, it was, we were tight and we we're having a great time. We had taken a break. We were back together. It's we're nice. celebrating the music. Yeah. And catalog of so many, yeah. Yeah. And we we're celebrating our legacy and the music. And it was freaking awesome. I forgot what the LA shows. I, I know I went to a friends and family one at the forum with you guys during that. 
Um, that was no, amazing. That was a little later. That was 2012. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but the LA shows we did the the, the Irvine Meadows shows yes, before so. it closed down. Four nights there. That's right. And then we ended up doing a few nights at um, Universal Amphitheater. That's right. That's probably where I saw you. Um, yeah, man. But it's nice because it seems like you guys are always like, we're gonna make a record, then we're gonna go on tour. But this is just touring to tour and play all the songs you had yeah. already had out. There's yeah. no pressure. There's no pressure. It wasn't supporting something new. That's right, and it was great. And that That's led to man. that led to us getting back in the studio and writing again. Yeah. Would would and that you know eventually became our last album, Push and Shove. And so we spent um, the rest of that year, 2009 and 10 and 11, writing Push and Shove. And that was a that was a difficult record to make for us. I think we weren't on the same page creatively um, about the kind of record we wanted to make. Yeah. And so, and I think, um, uh, you know, I'm really proud of that. I album. love that record too, man. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the songs. Um, ultimately, I think it, it it could have been something else if we were more on the same page. But you know, we did put that record out. Was it timing? You think the songs we had settled down, looking hot. There's some great songs on there, man. I, uh, you know, and then the video, obviously we can, whatever, but the video came out and there was some blowback on the video. And yeah. 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 So until we, the record label probably got scared and that was kind of the beginning of kind of, I don't know. Internet, I don't know what the timing was on that. You know, it was timing. I think, I think there's timing. I think being, not being on the same page had to do with it. Yeah. Uh, had a lot to do with it. And, um, yeah, there was some, there were some missteps in making that record happen, promoting that record. Yeah. Yeah. And sure, the, it's the same label too, wasn't it? Yeah. But so many people have come and gone from that label since you've been on it probably too. So many. It's probably something like a new A&R person or a new like marketing person every time you have a new record with them. That's totally right. There's probably yeah. nobody there that you knew at that point. Um, there were some familiar faces and some very new faces. Also, yeah. Jimmy Ivey obviously is there still, but do you know what I mean? Like There were some different people there, yeah. And uh, yeah, that record uh, came out and um, didn't, you know, I think... On every I don't think you got the proper push you should have got, to be honest. That's just, me speaking. Uh, you know, I don't know. It just didn't connect. And uh, Yeah. I don't know. It's just t timing with things, too, as well, too. Timing, label, just everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you can't really pinpoint one thing, because the songs were there, I think. There was a lot of stuff that was going on. <laughs> but I'm saying but the music was there to me. I, I, yeah. It was a no-doubt record to me. Like I love the songs on there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you know you. what I mean? It wasn't thank like you were trying to drive, you weren't rapping or anything. You were doing something <laughs> different, you know? Yeah. Um. Look at my nose right now, um, but you you've done a bunch of things during throughout all this was not just no doubt also do, I mean um, working on songs I know you did some shit with Danny Elfman too that was awesome at the Bowl, right? Yeah. So after so after push and shove happened, um, did you tour in that or record? didn't happen? I should did say. did you tour in that record? We didn't. We were supposed to tour and uh, we ended up not touring. We ended up doing seven nights at Universal Amphitheater. That was the prep for going out. Um, that and, that for that album and uh gwen decided she didn't want to tour on that album we spent some time the next year kind of writing a little bit um and this was the writing with other people time and it just wasn't coalescing it was just like it was uh it was it was a really difficult thing and that was when i think the burnout had hit yeah um um maybe the trauma from push and shove and and uh everything and that's when it just kind of all fell apart yeah yeah and so yeah you you, you, you all of a sudden anything kind of stops you've been touring like your whole life basically and then now it's just like yeah it's, it's just it just stops yeah yeah it did and and you know 
we were always hopeful that there would be the tours and um but uh that didn't come come about and um we still had some shows kind of on the table yeah so in 2015 we did our run of last shows yep and they were all like big festival shows and and i remember that for what it's worth like you know those were the last shows we ever played we went out uh, 2015 15 we went out kind of headlining those festivals um and it was really uh it was really good still like the the shows were like really um uh fun to play even with uh, some of the rockinesses that that was now happening in the mm-hmm. band, and um, yeah, man, and and those were the last shows. Yeah, September of two thousand fifteen was no doubt's last show. One of the shows you guys did back then, I'm not sure how, what the dates were, but I thought it was awesome to talk about was uh, playing the Kennedy Center honoring Paul McCartney. Yeah, and Obama's there and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like an awesome. Moment. So that was back in two thousand ten, and you know we hadn't put out the last record yet. Yeah. Um, but man, oh, that sounds what, amazing! What an amazing experience! Like, so we got invited to do that. We got to play for Paul McCartney in the audience and do some Beatles uh, songs. That must be so intimidating. And hang out afterwards, and Woo. and uh, man. so you were playing Beatles songs in front of him. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and we got to you know we got to go to the White House for the actual award ceremony, and meet the president. And uh, that's uh, amazing, Michelle Obama. And it was it was awesome, man. Was it your first time at the White House? No, that was our. So you've been there for other presidents. We had been there. We had first gotten a tour there in '96 or '97. Wow! And then I'm trying to think. Oh, we went back. You just get invited there. Yeah, that's crazy. We went back. We that was maybe our second time, and then we got to go back, um, for a. Oh, we went back in 2009 when we were on tour. That tour we were just talking about. Yeah. We got to go visit the garden um, when Michelle Obama had that awesome, healthy garden. So oh, yeah, that's go, right. We got to go see that. Then we went for Kennedy Center Honors in 2010. And then you just went back too, though. I just went back last year. And what was that for? That was for a Diwali celebration, um, uh, for a uh, celebration of Indian Americans. And my brother and I got to go, and that was freaking awesome. That was not band-related. That was just getting to go and another awesome experience so who reaches out to you when you get invited to these things um is it through your management or something just like hey we got invited there yeah they, they find you yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so we went out there and just it's just a celebration kind yeah of thing? that thing was wow. awesome it was just a party at the at the white house it was cool have there been some surreal moments in your life doing stuff like that yeah totally i've had a i mean really, prince seems like the most surreal one for you but I, like i've had some just incredible experiences i'm so grateful for everything um and you know, dude, everything from from the start of the band and all those challenging early days, and touring in cars and touring in vans, to getting to you know the big shows and stuff like that, and you know being on on the other side of stuff now with uh, you know having two kids and, know. and, and, and it's family, just, it's the family and like getting to share my experiences with them. It's just been awesome. There's a bal- balancing all that, right? It is, yeah. And so, okay, now, we, now we're getting some other things too now. So, yeah, man. Um, we talked about the Danny Elfman thing you did, the Hollywood Bowl. That sounds awesome. So that was just, that was one song. He, I, got invited, I got invited to do Dead Man's Party. That's great. He has different people play it every year. And so I got to do that. Um, and a jam session with like Chili Pepper songs. I saw he did that too. Yeah, that was Adam fun. Adam Levine and Chad Smith. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. And then the most recently thing you did uh, with your band and Davey, that was a couple weeks ago at um, the thing in the trees with Tim Armstrong. It's like a benefit show. Yeah. 
What is that? What is that for? So oh, it's a it's a music it's a music organization. So there's this great organization called Muzak. Muzak. They uh, raise funds to give kids um, music programs and musical instruments. And uh, uh, I've been friends with Donick, who who runs this great organization for a while. And I played it in 2017 um, with some other awesome people, with Tommy Stinson from The Replacements and Fred oh. Ar- Fred Armisen on drums and Moby on guitar. And uh, so, anyways, uh, this year I played it with. Tom and Adrian and the Muzak kids, the kids who have gone through that program. That's cool. So we just played that. That was great. And then uh, we had a mini Dream Car reunion. Saw that. Davey came and did a, a cover. W- we did Blitzkrieg Bop, and then That's we did great. a Dream Car song. So that was awesome. So yeah, that was just a, a few weeks ago. That was that was great. I mean, I love playing with those guys. You know, it's magical. It's magical, dude. There's that's the thing. That's the thing about not no doubt not playing anymore. It's it's sad because when the four of us get together and play. Um, something magical happens. You can't replicate it with other players, and there's just something that's just bigger than than the four of us, than the sum of us. Yeah. You know, and with Gabe and Steve too, there's just something beautiful that happens. So it's it's a real shame that we're not playing anymore. Um, and I'm hopeful that one day we will. Me too. You know, I really am hopeful uh, that we'll we'll play again one day. I think the world will be happy. Appreciate um, it. Yeah, man, I'm hopeful. Changed a lot of lives with your music and inspired a lot of people. And it's thank you. I, I hope that one day it, it we can celebrate the music together. It becomes about a celebration um, rather than a negotiation. Yeah, and that's what it's, that's a great way to that's say what it. it. That's what it is. And um, you know, the only way that's going to happen is if, I think if we're all talking to each other again. There needs to be some healing, obviously. I would I say I would say in the same room talking together. That's a hundred percent. Not through management, not through nothing. Just that's friends in a room talking. That's it, and that's what's been happening for the last few rounds of negotiation. And I think a lot gets lost in translation. Totally. And it's uh, it's not healthy. And I think the only way to heal whatever happened, I don't know what happened, but uh, but to to heal whatever happened, um, it needs to be communication between us directly. And together, like you said, in the no same man. room, without other people. Um, like t- how, it be, how it began, how it started. How it began. And that's the only way we're going to get back out there and and do it again. It's, it's this, we, there's so much to celebrate. What we created together, what we accomplished together, is such a rare achievement. And as I was saying earlier, we connected with a lot of people, a lot of people, because the the band everything about the band was so honest and true yes like the heart the pain of the breakup the struggle of the band being t- together for 10 years before we had that kind of success on the radio and tv like people i think related to that and i think um people would love to come celebrate that with us again so i hope that one day i'm hopeful that one day we can celebrate our music together again. We should be playing those songs together. I agree. Never say never either. Who knows what could happen? Um, well, let's get into the veganism. I mean, you've been vegan for a while now. Um, I remember talking to you when it first, you first became vegan. Uh-huh. How many years has it been now? It's been 11 years. On, wow. Uh, this past May the 4th. Um, oh yeah, May Fourth, and yeah. you're a Star Wars head yeah, too. That's right. That, but it, that was just a coincidence. I, but it's pretty cool. It's though. pretty rad. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'll tell you a little bit about the story. So, yeah. Um, in high school, I had friends in in 
the hardcore scene, straight edge scene. A lot of those guys were vegetarian at the time. And I went to high school, Anaheim High School is where Instead was from. And so I knew those guys. Shout out to Rich Instead, yes. And, yeah, and so Rich, um, even though Rich didn't go to Anaheim High School, Rich and I became really close friends right, out, right after high school. And Rich and, you know, I was a meat eater and, uh, and, and Rich uh, would tell me about stuff and, and tell me videos to watch. But I kind of just like, you kind know, blew it off. I kind of blew it off, you know, and I've apologized to him since. <laughs> um, but uh, he was a big influence. And then in the 90s, a guy named Philip Steer um, was also a big influence. And, and so there was these seeds that were planted along the way. You watch videos, you watch Meet Your Meat and stuff like that. And they kind of, they're in there somewhere, but they haven't fully bloomed. Yeah. And um, something happened in 2002, Two, we were no doubt was touring and we were playing Glastonbury in the UK and we were in a bus all together and we pulled over driving in the English countryside and we pulled over to stretch our legs it's a long drive from where we were coming from the night before and um, we pulled over and it, there was this cow pasture and the cows came up as a wooden fence and the cows came up and we were talking to them and hanging out a little bit and one of our crew guys looked at the cow and he kind of made a joke and he's like, mm, I'm going to eat you later. And everyone la- giggled and laughed. Yeah. And uh, I had a moment where I was like, ah, that wasn't very funny. Like something happened internally. Yeah. And I went on the bus and I had a moment to myself and something was happening, but I regret to say it still wasn't till January of 2005 that I made a change. So I started dating my now wife, Erin, in 2002. Shout out to Erin. Love you, Erin. The best. The most incredible human being and um, my uh, awesome my, family, my rock. My, thank you. My rock and the person who's gotten me through the last 20 years. Um, just so grateful for her uh, support and love and friendship. Um, How did you guys meet? We met at a club. A club, a, a Jamaican club called Punani. Okay. <laughs> in LA, in LA, that Brent and Jen used to throw, and and uh, wow, we met. Uh, it was with Dom. It was Brooklyn Projects, Brooklyn, yes, with Dom, and and Dom was like, "Hey, one of our one of our other friends is going to join us tonight." I think and she worked there too. Didn't she work there for a second? She didn't work at that place. Okay, no, 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 no Brooklyn Projects. She might have. Yeah. Okay, maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. Okay. And so she, uh, I met her that night, and we kind of hit it off like a great, great conversation. And I was leaving on tour. I was leaving on another leg of the Rocksteady tour, but wow. we, our friendship formed and. And then when I got back, we kind of made it official. Like, it's awesome. Yeah, and we've been together ever since. Um, but Erin was vegetarian when we first started dating. Okay. So for those first few years, she had to put up with me. Like, man, just like, you know. Will you joke about it and stuff or no? Sure. And come, I don't know if I <laughs> joked about it, but like she had to put up with me like coming back from clubs. I'm like, I want a Western bacon cheeseburger. In and out, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, yeah, in and out. Like, And it's just like, oh, man. But, you know. I mentioned that Glastonbury experience on the way to Glastonbury and then um, just learned more, watched more videos and things like seeds were being planted and January 1st, 2005 for my New Year's resolution, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to cut out land animals. I'm just going to see how this goes, Mm. you know? And um, it hadn't, everything hadn't fully, like maybe I was just keeping it at bay. I was dealing with other stuff in my life and, you know, I wasn't, um, fully enlightened to what happens to animals yet and january 1st 2005 i cut out cows and pigs and chickens and um, was it hard um honestly it wasn't that hard Mm. um it was 
I was doing it for the animals, so yeah. it wasn't that hard. And um, and it wasn't well. Let me let me keep going. So <laughs> it wasn't till May of two thousand ten, five years later, that I stopped eating fish. Oh wow! And then during that time, I was becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the fact that I was still eating dairy and eggs, and those are arguably they're as cruel, arguably crueler. Mm-hmm. because of what happens to dairy cows. You know, yes. people, and, and I wasn't aware for a good portion of my life that for a cow to make milk, she has to be pregnant. Yeah. So we artificially inseminate these moms on a rape rack. That's the industry term. It's done in the most brutal, cruel, fast, just efficient way because yeah. it's all about money. Totally. And these cows then gestate for the same amount of time that my wife held our babies for. And these cow, these moms, these cows are probably thinking like in my miserable life living on concrete, being exploited over and over again, my female reproductive system being exploited over and over again, I'm going to, maybe there's like some, some light at the end of the tunnel, I'm going to have a kid. Then when they have a kid, we steal that baby away from them so we can then steal her milk that was intended for her child. It's crazy, man. It's brutal. To drink, to steal as, as humans. So all this stuff was becoming apparent to me, but it wasn't until we, we had our first kid, Coco, and it was time for Erin to stop breastfeeding, and we were going to put her on formula for a second. And we had this conversation because we were vegetarian at the time. Yeah. And we're like, wait, are we going to put her on a cow's milk formula? Like, we're going to do that? And that was the moment. And... On May the 4th, 2012, I was in yoga, getting ready for some push and shove event, like touring and promo stuff, and I just lost it. I had this epiphany. The night before, Toby, the night before, um, I went to see this movie, Aaron and I went to see this movie called Unity, and it was Sean Monson's follow-up to Earthlings. And I had done voiceover for Unity. So he invited me to a screening room, and um, it was the director's uncut version of it. And it was like three hours long. Brutal. And Aaron and I were literally on a f- in, in a fetal position on the floor of the screening room, like crying, watching what happens to, to cows and Damn. other animals. That next morning I was in yoga and I had an epiphany and I had a breakdown, a full, full meltdown. I was like, I'm living in this this weird place, this gray area, where I I choose to think of myself as a just person, but yet I'm selecting certain species that I'm not being just towards. Yeah. You know, I stopped eating land animals and fish, but why was I still being part of the suffering of cows and chickens? Yeah. And um, that was the day I called Aaron from yoga and I was like, I think I'm done. I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm not, I'm not living my true self. And she's like, if you do it, I'm doing it. So May the 4th is when we both went vegan. So that's awesome, been 11 man. years now. And we've been fortunate, and, and kids are raised vegan. Kids are raised vegan, and um, it's just been the most beautiful thing. And I, and I you hear this a lot, but um, is there the only thing I regret about it is that I just didn't do it sooner, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just been a a beautiful place to be and live, and I love it. And um, you inspired some of your family members too to be I like did. that. I tried to yeah, be. I did. My brother's vegan, and his wife's vegan, and their baby's vegan, and 
And, and your uh, parents try a lot better too, right? They, they are doing a lot better. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's crazy once that world opens up and you see the world different when you become. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the animal rights stuff is that that community was um, really a great thing to be part of too. Like yeah, you know, and, and going to events and rescues, man. Going to yeah, you do rescues. the LA Animal Safe, Farm Sanctuary, the Animal Hope and Wellness, and also Animal Place where you rescue the chickens. Dude, those are. With Jessica Miller, shout out to Jessica Miller. Yeah, Jessica, like just great experiences. Gary Smith, really great guy, the Thinking Vegan, yeah, great friend, and he he um, introduced me to so many of these organizations, and I uh, got to do these rescues. You, you know, these hen rescues are just really it's thousands and thousands of them. Thousands right? is so profound. So these hen rescues, these are these are these particular ones the Animal Place does. Are sanctioned by the farmer. The, so the farmer says, "Look, we're gonna, we're gonna kill all these hens tomorrow. Unless they're, you take them. They're 18 months old. They're past their optimal hen uh, egg laying phase of their lives. Months 18 months old. Okay. Now these 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 hens have lived in wire cages their whole lives. They've never felt the ground. They've never experienced sunlight." And it's just a brutal existence, and they were born to be commodities, and they die as commodities, and they die in a horrible way. Yeah. These particular ones are gassed. And so we got to do these rescues with a bunch of other awesome um, activists. You go in and you rescue as many as you can, and it's mostly about, I think we rescued maybe a thousand, a little over a thousand for a each thousand? of these. You know, and they're putting down the next round is like the next morning. You get there. And you do these rescues in the middle of the night. And the reason you do that is because it's cooler. So the transport to the sanctuary is easier for the, for for the hens. It's not as traumatic because it's a really traumatic experience regardless. But so you can't get in trouble. You're, you're actually these ones, are, these ones were sanctioned. These ones yeah. were allowed by the farmers. Like I'm, they're going to be gassed. And when you get there, you see the piles of already ca- gassed birds, like tremendous tens of thousands of birds, you know, and you see the trucks coming to take them away. People think, um, well, I'm eating eggs. But then, when the, the hens, you know, no longer in a in a, a egg laying phase of their life, they'll be used for meat. That's not true. That's a completely different industry. Those broiler hens that people eat for meat, those are bred to be overweight. You know, their legs buckle from under them. Um, they they're meant to have as much meat on their bones as possible. These hen egg laying hens are a completely different breed. So, you know. Um, yeah, but nobody even thinks about them at all. Very profound. People think about pigs and cows, and they don't really think about Man. chickens. Yeah. So the, you know, the beautiful part about those rescues is being able to go to the sanctuary and open uh, the 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 transport cages, and let them. You see these hens for the first time in their lives. I'd be ex- so emotional. Express. Man hen behavior you know dust bathing and walking around and exploring and seeing that they're they can actually their feet are touching the ground for the first time it's super heavy the first time really heavy and really emotional and really beautiful and it's uh, a a real um a really lucky experience to be part of and to be part of that rescue yeah you're probably like you're probably one of the first humans are actually treating them nice for the first time because they're coming out you let them free dude when you're pulling them out of those wire cages um they have no idea if you're one of the people that's that's taking them to their gassing chamber. They don't know what's going on. No. And you're putting them in another uh, transport cage so they can go to, to freedom. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they have no idea. So it's, 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 it's a really moving experience. That's the one thing frustrating about the pig vigils that we would go to is that you would see these pigs. They, 
the trucks pull up to uh, Farmer John's, which is not there anymore. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And we get to have this moment with these pigs where they've been traveling for I don't know how long. They're, they're like, some are dead, some are crying, some are like, on top of each other. And we get to have a moment where we give them water and apple. Yeah. And they have this moment with us humans. And then 15, 20 minutes later, they're being prodded off the truck and they're being taken in to be slaughtered. But yeah. we would go down there and do that. It would make me so frustrated because it doesn't make me more vegan. It just makes me more angry and sad because I can't do anything. Yeah. But at least we have these moments where... They, they know that all, all humans aren't pieces of shit. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? We're here like, to give them love. You're trying to offer them one brief moment of uh, love in their otherwise horrible existence. Yeah. And then the other thing about bearing witness is that you're calling attention to the atrocities that animal agriculture commits. Totally. A million times a day around the world. Yeah. Um, I, hope we, I hope we had a, some sort of part to do with that place shutting down. I'm sure it's going to be moved somewhere else. That's that's it, yeah. That's where they made the Dodger dogs. Yeah. And uh, But just going there and t- taking my son there for the first time and me going the first time and feeling numb for like two weeks and just seeing that. And yeah. I love being, bringing friends who weren't vegan down there yeah. to see where the food comes from. I got to take Coco on the, one of the very last oh, nights. Oh, wow. And um, that was a, a great experience to share together because I was going, and I think I was, went twice in that last week, and I was going and I was, and I just prepped her. I said, like, you may not see a truck. If you do see a truck, it's pretty heavy. And um, I was like, so it's your choice if you want to go. And, you know, she's 12, and she made her decision to go. Wow. And I'm really glad she went. And it was a really emotional moment for her because she saw the the full trucks coming in and being taken in. And then you hear the the pigs squealing as they're being um, electric prodded off the trucks. Yes. And then um, the trucks come out empty. And that realization of that, they're done. They're gone. Their lives yeah. have been taken away from them um, is a lot to process. But I'm really proud of her. Uh, uh, you know, our family's vegan for the animals, so I'm really proud of her for embracing that at the right time, when the time's right, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I wish more people would be able to see things like that. Or there was some things kids could watch at school just to kind of see where things came from. So as a society, we're so far so, removed yeah. um, from what happens to these animals. We don't have to see it. And where they're, they come from. Where they come plate. from, what they experience in their lives, that they're bred into this world, and that they go out and it's violent. And it's... It's, it's so oh, barbaric. It's, it's barbaric. It's yeah. like, man, we, we, are, um, we are presented with this bloodless clean package so you don't have to see any of the you know you're, you're paying someone else to do that for for you like to, to to prevent you from seeing it yeah and that for me was like i can't do that myself so why am i paying someone to do it for me when i you know yeah. that was a big part of um becoming vegan for the animals it seems like it's you're, you're almost just as passionate about this as your music in a sense i i am very passionate about animal rights stuff um i think that uh since the pandemic the movement um unfortunately has suffered a blow as has yeah has every part of our world of course because we've become so splintered um yeah but i'm still passionate about it and like look look you have a choice every day right of everything you eat to not participate in that suffering of the things you wear to not buy things that that came from suffering yeah you know um to go for entertainment not to go to places that exploit animals or use animals for entertainment you have these choices those are all the easy choices you know, as far as I'm concerned, as yeah. far as for me, yeah. you know, and then you do everything in, as you can to raise awareness and then try and do rescues and, you know, um, I remember and, you had the old car that had leather seats. You sold the car. 
I did all that. I did. Like you, I, you, look, you look, like I, so I, passionate. I come from a place. I come from a place where I have, I have, the opportunity to do that stuff. Yeah. So I don't. I don't for for a moment think that everybody has those opportunities, you know, and I'm yeah. very, very lucky to, to have that. Um, but I think things need to happen in the food system. Why do we subsidize meat and dairy? Why don't we subsidize, subsidize vegetables? Why are there food deserts in places of low income yes. in the United States? Um, why is there no access to healthy foods? It's only access to garbage and foods in that schools make and hospitals. foods and foods that'll make you sick. Why do schools and hospitals? Why do hospitals of all the places <laughs> in the no world vegan. serve serve foods that will make you sick? You it's literally go, you literally are told later in life that you need to eat healthier, but yet we still serve the things that make you unhealthy in places that uh, places that shouldn't have those those things like schools. We're teaching kids that that eating dairy is okay you know and and i don't know if you've been watching but like the blowback like right now the 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 fight between from the dairy industry against the success of um nut milks and alternate almond milks, milks almond, yeah, yeah they're, like so threatened. They're, they're so threatened you yes. see these these dairy ads constantly and, seen, and it's it, just like right. it's just like People have no idea the amount of suffering that goes into that, to making that milk, those items, you know? I think people are more conscious of it now and catching on about dairy and milk. And hopefully, hopefully there's enough. options. I think so, yeah. I mean, it's always getting, there's always more evolving, right? Yeah. So hopefully, yeah. Um, let's talk about um, White Drunk Female. Yeah, Single Which, Drunk Female. Single Drunk Female, my bad. Yeah. I love the show. I watched the first season and I was so excited that you told me you're working on that and now it's out. Um, it's awesome, man. Thanks, Stoke man. You. Thanks. So this 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 is a new world for me. So a few years ago, um, my now really good friend Blake Neely, amazing composer, super accomplished TV and film composer, and one of the greatest guys and one of my closest friends. Um, now he he reached out to me. So he was doing uh, some orchestral stuff, and he wanted to have live bass and drums play along. And so he reached out to Stephen Perkins from Jane's. Uh, to play drums and he reached out to me to play bass and he had just seen me at that that Danny Elfman thing that you had mentioned yeah and so I was fresh in his mind and he reached out and I went in and I met with him and I liked him and so I did these two days this two two day session with him and I played Steve and I played together and that was um, the beginning of 2020 wow and then um, over that summer when lockdown happened um, I was like dude we sh- we gotta keep playing together so we would get together once a week or once every couple of weeks at his studio and we'd sit like 20 feet apart and I'd play bass and he'd play piano. Masked up and so, uh, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, when we didn't know what was going on. Crazy time. And uh, we'd have someone record it. And over that summer, we just kept playing together and became good friends. And then he very kindly um, invited me later that year in, into his studio because I have a room that's becoming available. It's got this great studio complex. And so I was kind of like, not sure what I was doing with music anymore. Like No Doubt wasn't playing and um, we're kind of past the dream car phase. And so I was like just kind of trying to f- get my footing and figure out what I was going to do musically. And um, I I took the room at a studio and I moved in later that year. And I've been there ever since. And uh, I spent all of 2021 learning Logic, uh, which is a, you know, the software that, you, one of the softwares yeah. you can use to record music. And um, That's cool. And, uh, 
so I just sat in a room and, and did that and wrote music and by myself and it was cool and then I would write st- some ideas and then get together with him every week or two and uh, we'd work on those ideas together and he's like dude by the end of the year we're going to send this stuff out and so we did that and um, we ended up doing a movie together That's right. That's right. last year early last year called uh, Purple Hearts okay. for Netflix we did that together you scored that with him. Scored that with him. Yeah, that was a great experience, and we did awesome. orchestra, the Budapest Orchestra, and it was just freaking great experience. And he's, like I said, he's been so generous with his mentorship and friendship, and um, teaching me stuff in this world. It's a brand new world for me. Yeah. And so um, then I was like, "All right, cool, man. What are we gonna do next?" He's like, yeah. "We're not doing anything next. You got to go do your own thing." And I was like, oh, shit, I'm not ready for this. So I put myself up for a couple of projects, and I ended up getting Single Drunk Female. Awesome, man. And I did that, and that was great. And, uh, yeah, that season's out now. Yeah, and is the song um, Don't Borrow Trouble? Is that one of the songs? Or was that the episode? Of, that was one of the songs, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I, you title a lot of the uh, – Blake actually gave me that name. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and Blake Neely, like, once again, great friend, shout out. Been really, really um, – a great supporter of of me and, and getting back into music in the last few years. So now that you're in that world, that people know that you're in that world as far as like, like you can maybe, you have to put, you have to like audition for something like that or just throw, throw your song into the hat or they know it's you and no, they know you're no, in the for, for Single Drunk Female, I had to do a little interview and stuff and yeah. get through the process and then when you get the job, you're still doing spotting sessions with the, the, the people who uh, create that show. Such a different world, And they're man. such, they're awesome people and really, really cool people. So it was a, for my first solo experience, it was a really great experience for me. I'm really grateful to be able to do it. Uh, the music supervisor, Manish, you know, incredible. The music editor, Scott, incredible. Like, just had a great experience throughout the whole thing. Yeah, do you, so is there a small group of people that, that are doing stuff like that? Or is no, there a big community? so many people, dude. It's great. And there's a, you know, it's a big world out there. So I'm just getting into it. And, yeah. you know, if something cool comes along, I'm down to do it. And, uh in the meantime, I'm just writing and writing and having fun and you know playing gigs here and there and yeah, just jumping on stage, jumping with on stage with people. We did it with H2O. We did like a prayer in 2019. That was fun. And the hundreds and the rain was coming down and Tony was playing bass. We did Madonna. It was awesome. That was fun. And I just did uh, this thing with Billy Idol um, at the Hoover Dam Ooh. a couple of weeks ago. Played a couple of songs with him. What songs by him? Did Dancing with Myself. Oh my god. Steve Jones was up there too. Wow. And then uh, did Hundred Punks. Hundred uh, punks rule, yeah. and that comes out. He's making they're making a concert movie for that, so that comes out in September. What about ghostwriting? You ever done that? Um, no, never done ghostwriting. Do you ever get starstruck playing with people? We played with so many people. Anybody you met that you like, besides Prince? That, like what kind of blew you away? Like nah, starstruck? Yeah. Not so much. No. Or like playing with the heroes and stuff like that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I do have one. <laughs> I do have one. Yeah. What you got? Maybe it's different nowadays, but this was a long time ago. So we <laughs> no doubt was playing the Grammys in 2003, and uh, we were nominated that year. And so we were already playing, and Joe Strummer had just died. And so uh, I got invited to be part of the, the group that honored Joe Strummer in the In Memoriam segment. So that was a, oh, that yeah, was, yeah. That was a incredible experience. So we played London Calling, and it was wow. Pete, Pete Thomas from The Attractions on Drums. And Elvis Costello, Little Steven, Dave Grohl, and Bruce Springsteen singing, what? and I got to play bass. That was a wow. That was a that was a pretty intense moment. Like so, we rehearsed that 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 particular Grammys was at Madison Square Garden. So we rehearsed in the dressing room 
at Madison Square Garden, and that, that was that was Springsteen was there too. Yeah, that oh was a big God. that was a big one. Yeah, man, that's incredible. That was a, that was a life life uh, affirming, life changing, uh, profound mo- moment for me. What about what about if you like balancing it all, balancing family and music? Obviously, a lot easier now if you're just not touring as yeah. much. But throughout your whole journey, that's a whole other thing we have to do. Yeah, that that is a, that is a big part, especially when you have kids. Um, finding that balance. Uh, so family is obviously really important to me. Um, we try to see the grandparents every weekend, if not yeah. every other weekend. Um, I just took my parents and my brother and I just took our parents to India. For oh, wow. in February for a bucket list trip for our dad. And oh mom. man, that must have been awesome. So yeah, so my dad's our dad's brother um, died in the India Pakistan War in 1971, and wow. um, so he uh, he lost his brother a long time ago. I was one year old at the time, and um, so he lost his younger brother at the time. And just a few years ago, they built this incredible memorial in New Delhi for all the soldiers that were killed in the India-Pakistan conflicts. So my dad's been wanting to go. We tried to make it up in 2020, and that trip got aborted. And um, so we uh, we finally made it happen. It was just the t- my brother and I and mom and dad so we could focus on them. And we went and we got to this memorial. And, man, it was so beautiful and emotional and incredible. And seeing our dad see his brother's name, so every soldier has their own name. It's like it's it's almost like the Vietnam Veterans wow. Memorial. You can go and trace the name if you wanted to and stuff. So That's to amazing. see his brother's name and it was really emotional. And I'm so glad that we were able to do that for him. Yeah. And and then we got to see family and we went to uh, we st- we were in New Delhi and then we went to to uh, Jaipur and we went to Mumbai to visit family and that was a really great trip. It's like two weeks and just my brother and I focusing on our parents. And I'm hoping to take my kids there soon to awesome, India, like yeah. and show them that part of the world and how beautiful it is and how chaotic and incredible it is, and show them, you know, that not everywhere is like uh, the Westernized world, and yeah. there's a lot more to the the planet. And um, you know, so soon, I, I want to make that happen soon. What about some daily rituals for you? Um, I, know, I know you run around the river. I run around Silver Lake Reservoir. I try to do that at least three times um, with my trainer once a week. Um, um, do you love running? I go to the studio. I do. I do love running. And I run because I don't have to think about anything. Yeah. Do you listen to music when you run or no? I don't. I don't. If I'm either with my friend Tony. Okay. You know Tony. Uh, Tony Hajar. Yep. Um, good friend of mine. I'm either running with him or if I'm running by myself, I'm just by myself and it's great. It so gives you, me a chance wow. to think about things. Yeah. I run with a friend too and I love that. And if I'm, So you run by yourself sometimes with no music. No. I never listen to music when I run. I'm going to try that, man. I don't listen to anything. It's just... Um, more work for me I think my brain's going at a million miles a second so I like just letting it just go during that time and um, I do do the same run so I know that I know where I'm starting and where I'm ending Mm. so I know I just have to get through it so there's no letting like uh, you know laziness or anything come in and be like oh you're a little too tired today you stayed up too late last night what's on the horizon for you you tried doing some more scoring and stuff like that yeah I've been going so I go to the studio every day and I just write even if it's just for a couple hours, I just try to write for writing's sake, and it's going to get used for something eventually. Just try to keep keep a creative flow going in between if there's going to be another TV show or movie or something that comes along, yeah. or whatever the next um, you know jumping on stage performance is or whatever that stuff is. But um, 
there's so much great life stuff going on too, you know, kids stuff, yeah, amazing and family, family stuff, and like yeah. so so much stuff to look forward to. Some you know, some summer vacation and traveling and and uh, living, dude, living, living, and you know, going to Airhead tomorrow. I know this won't be uh, this will be broadcast later, but but you know, going to taking the grandparents up to Airhead with the kids tomorrow, and that's gonna be a fun weekend and just good stuff. You man. think you ever want to start a new band, another band? I don't think so. I don't think I, I I don't think I would start a new band. No, I think uh, if anything, my focus will be just writing the way I'm it's writing. It's different. Now. It's a new chapter for you, man. Yeah, you know, I want to give this a turn for a second and see how this goes. And um, look, I got to be honest with you. Icing everything is icing on the cake. I've had some really great experiences. Yes. So doing these TV shows has been just a great experience, and I think if I can keep it in that. That world it keeps your cre- creativity going too. Really, you don't, yeah. you don't have to be on stage to be creative. Yeah, you know, and I love playing on stage. Don't I get know. me wrong. Can, I know that's my first number one love, choice, man. and and it's with no doubt. I know it's playing with no doubt. You know, because there's like I said, there's something magical that happens between all of us on stage, and that happens with the audience and with the songs that we wrote together. And everybody in the band's got to know that. Everybody's got in the band's got to know like the impact. Um, the creativity that was made with you guys all together, and then how you're on stage. Yeah, it doesn't matter what each person's whether whatever they're into now. When you're on stage together, if it happened tomorrow, yeah, it'd be the same magical shit. It doesn't that's matter. Right. That's right. Do you know what I'm saying? And, that's, that, and that's the whole point of the band. That's beautiful about it. I think so. I think if we were coming together to celebrate um, the music. That's what it would be. That's what it has to be. You know. Yeah, you're not promoting anything. You're just playing. You're playing these songs. You're playing a show. I would never say never, and I'm, and for as a fan and the fans listening to, it's like, it's incredible band and music, and I don't know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's over. That's just my opinion. I, I know nothing about the inner workings of the band. As your friend, I'm like, it's too good and it's too great and there's too much has been. I don't know, blood and sweat and tears to make that music. I don't know. Just hearing your story today. Yeah, man. I don't know, man. I, I you know I hope so. I hope so. Toby. In the back I, of your mind, do do you think about no doubt a lot every day or no? Um, you know, I think about, uh, look, there's always things that remind you of stuff. You, you meet somebody on the street and they tell you some beautiful story I'm of, sure. of what happened with this song at this time. And so there's always reminders. And Do people recognize you every day walking around depending where you are? Um, not as much as, po- as it used to be, not as much as it used to be because, uh, yeah, there's been some time has passed and my hair's not bleached anymore. My hair's not bleached anymore. I love your hair like this, man. Thank you. Thank and you have you. a great hairline too. Uh, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just it's it's much grayer now. It looks so. good. It looks good though. <laughs> it's much grayer now. So if it was bleached, yeah. I don't know. I don't no, know. It's, Time's passed, dude. But when people remind you of it every day, it's like yes, I thank you, thank you, I appreciate. It's beautiful. That. It's yeah. All those all those compliments that you take and you storm up in your in your in your heart and in your. In your soul, and, and like, I'm sure that's frustrating because it's like, okay, thank you, thank you. I want to play too. Like I miss, I miss the band too. So it's hard. Yeah, it, it can be tough. And, and I, you're trying to move like, on with your life. I honestly do don't think we're gonna play again. I, I, I hate to say it. That's but, not the PMA, bro. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, look, like you said, like, always be hopeful. Yeah, but so in the back, in the back of your mind, you're like, I'm moving on. I'm doing this. But if, if I get the call, I'm there. I, I would do it in a second, of course. Sure. It's, it's your love. Sure. It's, it's your shit. Yeah. I see, like, I see, I envision, like, a tour. I don't know if it's a world tour, but there's something happening in the future. You know, I don't know, man. There's, there's too much uh, time and energy and friendship and love. I love it. There. Put it know? out. Keep putting it out there. I put it out. Yeah, um, I appreciate when it. When I had Adrian, I'll put the same juju uh, out there. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, well, this has been great hanging out with you and talking to you. I've known you for many years. Just getting deep and, I don't know, 
just share you sharing your stuff with the world. I'm honored it's on my podcast. Oh, dude, thank you, brother. And I your so voices, dude. Your voice is like so. You should. I don't know. I'm not saying it a podcast, but your voice is so soothing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Do you hate? Do you hate hearing yourself? <laughs> sure, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, let me double check on my nose. This yeah. has been awesome. I'm really happy this happened. I no, waited four I, years. I, I'm glad I waited. I am. I am so happy we did this. This is awesome. This yeah, is great. Just, it's your life. It, it's your life. It's your life. Um, we got the prince. We got, let's see what else. I got Stella sitting next to me Stella, the she whole time. Stella, she didn't fart time. on you. She usually farts on people. Dude, she didn't, not only should, did she not fart, she never left. And she didn't bark either. Not once. And she usually barks. Stella. Um, it just seems like you're in a good place and I'm happy you're in a good place. I'm in a beautiful place. I'm really, uh, I've it's say, a blessed life. say it over and over again. I'm really grateful for uh, my experiences. Um, the journey I've, I've got to be on uh, the the hard stuff the great stuff the fun stuff the emotionally draining stuff all that stuff gets you to where you are I agree and uh, it's just all beautiful in the, in the big picture yeah I, I like the, I like this chapter of you like just the, the writing and the scoring it gives you more time with your family obviously you love to go on the road and that's going to happen someday but like right now you're like you're you're still being creative you're like you're not Working a nine to five, you're not doing something you hate. You're still making music, and that's what you love. Do you know I, what I'm saying? I'm lucky to do that. Yeah. 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 I don't take that for granted. Yeah. I guess I, I don't know. I see ghostwriting for somebody. I don't know. <laughs> the one new band you do like is Turnstile. We talked about that. I like that band. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one new band like everybody talks about on this podcast. Like we're like, oh okay, I see that. I like that. Appreciate that. Inspired by a lot of things we like. Yeah. I, lo I love what that scene is right now as far as stuff, and I love that you go to shows still. I always see you at concerts. Always going out doing stuff. Yeah. Like just appreciating and seeing music and stuff. Something that happens when you go to a concert, right? It's the greatest thing. It's like the it's like it's like for us going to church. That's our church, right? We had the cure together. No, what show were we at the other night? You were at the cure this week, I was at the cure this week. Mm -hmm. I saw you at uh, Iggy Pop and Susan the Banshees. Yep. What about like another dream car record? Never know? Never know. Okay. Yeah. Never yeah. know. Maybe never we'll, say no. Never say no. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tony. This is awesome Thanks, Tony. being here, and uh, I love you and appreciate you as a friend. Thank you. I like I appreciate everything you do with the animals and your platform, and just Vice you're having a solid dude to me and my family. I feel the same. Thank you so much for everything. Thanks. For, I'm honored. This is your. I popped your cherry on this podcast. This <laughs> is your first podcast. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> and now we get some food. Let's um, do it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Peace. I love that I've been waiting four years to have Tony have all my freaking notes and I noticed one thing, but second of all, I just realized that everybody gets their own microphone condom and for some reason they gave Tony a purple one. It makes sense. I appreciate that. Thank but you. the one thing I forgot is that you play with my brother. So my brother had another vegan in the offspring for like five minutes, but you, you went on tour with him. He did like Australia and Japan with the offspring. I did. And how'd that happen? It was a few years ago. Was it an um, audition? Uh, their manager at the time was my manager mm -hmm. and they were, uh, they were looking for a bass player for those two tours. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I had a few weeks to prepare and I was like yeah I'm up for the challenge it was in between stuff I remember talking to you about it yeah and it was a lot of songs to learn they were doing uh, one set list for Australia and then another set list for Japan Australia That's they cool were doing they did like, that wow yeah um, I never changed my set <laughs> and they were so so I had to learn a lot of songs and your brother oh I love your brother he helped so much he would come over to my house and I would play with him just we'd play because there was a lot of stuff to memorize really really quickly yeah and there was moments during that like where I was like oh my god I, I bit off too much like there's so much to uh, to learn here but man are they crazy I, songs to learn you know it was just there was a there was a lot of deep cuts there okay and so there was some album stuff that I wasn't as familiar with and so uh, I had to there was just a, a 
a tremendous amount of stuff to learn. Yeah. And I had such a fun time like playing with those guys. We did, they were doing some big festivals in, in Australia and they were doing some great shows in Japan. And I, I mean, besides playing, the best part of that was being, hanging with your brother every day. He was like, so happy too. It was the greatest. So like we like in Japan and Australia going to find the best vegan spots in each city we were <laughs> in and just like, oh man, we had, uh, you know, we both like, he doesn't. He's the only. You guys are both only vegan members from both your bands. Yeah, that's right. And so, so like we, we just had, we'd be on this journey every day, and then like, and you know, being playing with another band is really fun because you don't. I'm not doing any press. Yeah. So my day was consisted of like, Todd and I would go have breakfast, and then we'd go find a cool place for lunch, and then I maybe I'd take a nap. You know, like like because you're jet lagged a bit, yeah. And then you'd go work out in the gym, and then you'd go to sound check, and then you'd eat dinner, and then you'd play the show, and then you'd go out to clubs at night. Awesome, dude. It was just like no pressure, man. No pressure, and and just the funnest uh, few weeks. Yeah, it was really good. And and your brother made it so much more uh, more fun for me, like just hanging out with him. Um, Yeah, that was awesome. I remember that happened with Todd. He was sending me pictures from like the first Japanese new vegan restaurant or something. I was like, wow. Dude, that place was great. Yeah. yeah. I was going there for years. It seems like Japan kind of caught on last anyway. It was really hard going there back in the day. Every city you go to, you use Happy Cow and you're going to find- Shout out to Happy Cow, man. Shout out. You, you can find great vegan restaurants or great vegan options everywhere you go. Yeah, well, whoever invented the Happy Cow, man, shout out to them, dude. Yeah. Whoever what, that person is. What a great it's, app, yeah. It's such a game changer. Like going, there was also this thing called like a vegan passport that I got- it's actually a little like a passport you bring with you has a list of everything in there. And Whoa. Yeah, it's cool. Okay. The world's changing, man. Yeah. I feel like it's changing. I feel like all the bands screaming about it. Now it's like everything they sung about back then from Youth of Today to Gorilla Biscuits or Chromags, all those bands. We're seeing it now. Yeah. It's interesting how it's been working. Yeah. Shout out to punk. And you in the punk rock uh, vegan movie too as well, which was awesome. Yeah. Showing the connections of all that punk rock and the roots of all that and Crass and all these bands who started singing about it back then you know yeah yeah, yeah. mdc no, that's right that's right yeah it's cool all right tk all right, we maybe should open a vegan restaurant together sounds before crazy it's a pain in the ass <laughs> it's a lot of stress <laughs> oh all right we're out of here we're gonna come back later bye bye as usual i always forget certain things when we have podcasts so we had to jump on here real quick while tony was still here tony i totally forgot to uh i spaced and forgot to ask you about dream car and how that all came about so Dream Car was um, a project that Tom, Adrian, and I did with our friend Davey. And um, what happened is I think when we realized No Doubt wasn't going to play anymore, Tom, Adrian, and I wanted to keep playing together. And um, uh, I met Davey through, you know, like seeing him at shows, uh, bands that we both, we all, you know, we all love together, and seeing him at vegan events. So... Um, when Tom Major and I were like, ah, oh, we got to keep playing because you know that's what we love to do. We um, we reached out to Davey and we're like, would you be interested? And he he was, and we sent him some ideas. And dude, he sent him back so fast; it was so awesome. And and it was exactly kind of like it just it felt so so natural and cool. Yeah. And you know, we always intended that to be a, a side project for us and for him and um and it was such a fun side project that we got to do together and you know um so we could keep playing together because no doubt wasn't playing and so uh that's kind of how that worked out and you know we out of respect tom wrote to gwen let her know that um we're doing this side project and oh, you know, cool. obviously it's a side project and 
when the time comes, we're ready to go and no doubt again. So, you know, yeah, it was really fun. I, I think uh, uh, we had a lot of great shows and uh, um, I made a record. We made a record that I'm super proud of till this day. Still, you know, when I hear songs, I'm like, man, we, we did a really cool thing there, you know, artistically. Yeah, it was great to see you guys live, too. It was awesome. Thanks, man. So a couple of those shows. Thanks, thanks. Um, also, your love for hip-hop. I know you're a big hip-hop head as well, and we didn't really touch on that. Um, I think you mentioned, too, off the pot about a crazy show you went to back in the day. It was, like, your first hip-hop show or first, like, intro to hip-hop music. Well, I don't know the first actual show, but, I mean, growing up, like, you know, Run DMC, Raising Hell, King of Rock, those records... Della Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, of course, the Beastie Boys. Like the Beastie Boys in my high school were so huge. The first album, and um, License to Ill. Yeah. Like all the guys in their mini trucks, you know, blasting the Beastie Boys, and then of course Paul's Boutique. You know, just next level artistry. Um, it's my favorite Beasties. It's so spectacular, right? Yeah. And then check your head, like them playing their instruments, and you get to hear how solid they are as as musicians you know playing on top of you know all the vocals and everything like that it was just um you know the, the just one of the most iconic greatest things yeah but public enemy also was a it was a huge one for me and just listening to chuck um you know teaching us schooling us on so many things i learned so much through public enemy all those records yo bum rush show and nation of millions and um, Super punk rock, I thought too. Everything that was yeah, about. yeah, Very rebellious, rebellious, yeah. And dude, we got to open for Public Enemy in 1992. Dang. The craziest bills, like so. We were out doing this uh, third van tour of that year. Third van tour. It was our third van tour <laughs> that year, and we were out and and we were just looking for gigs, you know, wherever we can do support gigs. And we opened for Public Enemy in Baton Rouge and New Orleans, and. Damn. And we were the first of like Public Enemy was a headliner. We were the first band. Then there was someone in the middle, and it was like a, you know it was it, it, back then like shows weren't as maybe eclectic as they are now. Now you go to like a festival and you see every type of genre playing together, right? Yes. Coachella is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a little bit more. This was their show in theaters, and uh, so the audience didn't really know what to make of us, but. Man, I was already a Public Enemy fan. Yeah. So getting to open for Public Enemy was just deal. such a big deal. Um, and then I saw them, before that, I saw them at the Santa Monica Civic back in maybe 87. It was a Golden Voice show. And it was Fishbone, Public Enemy, Living Color, and Stetsasonic. And we were sitting up at the top of the bleachers, and it was one of the most violent shows I'd ever been at. Like when Public Enemy was playing there were gang fights going on and we were like, we had this bird's eye view so we could look down Yeah, and like the song would start and then everyone was into it and then all of a sudden you see this fight right in the middle and then everyone would run to the sides and then there'd be like a body in the, on the floor. Like, so Chuck would stop the song, stop, you know, and be like, yeah, we got, you know, obviously like got to stop this, no more fighting. And then he, he, he warned the audience a couple of times, like, you know, this keeps happening. We're going to leave the set the stage, and, and it happened. They 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 had ended up stopping the show because people were getting hurt. That one's super memorable. That show, it's historic. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, and um, trying to think of what else. Like NWA was big when I was in high school, and the f- the first couple Ice Cube records, man. Um, oh, those Death are so cool. Yeah, yeah. The, the, um, America's, America's Most, Most Wanted. Wanted. Yeah, 
and death certificate and lethal injection yeah 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 all those records those were records crazy. were so like once again rebellious and and um produ- yeah. production on that and those records were so great Tri-Call Quest, Dela, all that stuff. Yeah. Dela Soul, three, yeah, Three Feet Hide and Rising, um, the Black Sheep record. Yes. Um, I loved all that like, super positive, like Native Tongues vibes in New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. With all those groups. Yeah, and then you get into the offshoots and stuff like that, like with Ice Cube, like with the Lynch Mob and stuff like that, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, man, I love all that stuff. But um, Did you ever breakdance or anything oh, like Cyper- that? Oh, Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. Um, we ever like a break dance or anything? Like no, no, I can't <laughs> dance. But man, that was so big in my high school at the time. It was so so great. Yeah. But I you never wanted to rhyme, or you never? Do you guys ever work with any hip hop artists? Um. Any remixes with hip hop artists or anything? Or no? I don't know. I'm sure we have. There's yeah. been so many things, you know. Yeah. I I do remember going in the studio with Dre. Like what? at some point, maybe on the on some record we met at a studio went but yeah wow. obviously nothing came of that but yeah um that's sick. that record too the chronic like oh dude so big yeah, yeah so big i feel like a lot of probably hip-hop artists and rappers probably love no doubt too because you guys did have a cool flavor too you know what i mean it wasn't just straight up pop there was other elements to it you know what i mean yeah 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 there were fans yeah also congratulations on a billion streams it's crazy, man. It's pretty amazing, man. Thank you, thank you. That just happened recently. Yeah. Is that just streaming from? Is that is that because of TikTok? Or is that just just basic streams? I think that's basic streams. Yeah. And it's so funny. My uncle had reached out to me. He's like, "Hey, I've been tracking this, and uh, he's tracking. Yeah, I've been tracking this, and it looks like by this date you're gonna cross a billion streams." I was like, "How are you tracking that?" But it's pretty cool. But um, he was right. He was right. Spot on on the date. And yeah. Wow. So yeah, that was cool. Yeah, man. Congrats. That man. song. Yeah, people connected to that song. It's it's a good one. And it's like over thirty years old, right? So it's like yeah, wow, right? It's crazy how things on TikTok too. Not not that song, but other songs are blowing up. But then the bands having like crazy just off like TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. happened to like um gym class heroes. Yeah, they got like a plaque because it's crazy, man. Yeah shit well thank you tony for being here this is your first podcast maybe your last who knows i got the exclusive (laughs) i appreciate you always man uh we covered a lot and um i'm stoked for people to hear this but yeah thank you for everything of course thanks for having voices so i I forgot relaxing your voices Uh, um but yeah is that good we covered everything yeah right yeah cool thanks for having thanks listening Bye. bye i always ask my guests if they have any regrets I personally don't have any regrets. Even when it comes to my tattoos, I have the silliest tattoos. Even my ET on my leg, it's still a childhood memory for me, and I love it. I've had tattoos on top of tattoos strictly because I wanted more tattoos. I started getting tattoos when I was 18. I'm 52 now, and I can't stop. I've had lazy treatment before on something on my arm. It's four tattoos on top of each other, and that experience at that place was pretty fast. It was pretty cold. It was in and out, swipe the credit card, don't really tell me much, didn't give me much details or anything was going to happen. So I never went back. So as of most recently, I'm so lucky enough to have had two sessions at Removery Tattoo Removal. My tattoo on my arm that looks like a big black blob is now super light. I've had two sessions. I have a long road ahead of me. None of this stuff happens overnight. You cannot take a tattoo up in one sitting. You have to be patient and it's painful. They ice you up, it's super fast. To me, it felt like a bunch of rubber bands. But what's more painful than that is looking at something on your body that you think you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That sucks. But now for me, I'm really happy I started this journey. I'm 
slowly going to get this tattoo removed. I never thought in a million years I have any kind of real estate on my arm. I don't even know what I want, but it's exciting. I'm so honored to announce that One Life, One Chance podcast is now with Removery. I have a code. Use TobyH20 and get $100 off your first session. Call 866-934-4570 or go to Removery.com. One of the most experienced tattoo remover companies in the world. Over 600,000 remover treatments done. 100 locations. U.S., Canada, and Australia. State-of-the-art peak-away laser technology. Cryotechnology to reduce any discomfort. This is so exciting for me because all I do on these podcasts is talk about tattoos. From day one, if you've been listening to this podcast, we talk about tattoos, talk about getting removed, talk about getting covered up. So this is such a perfect fit for me. Once again, go to removery.com or call 866-934-4570. Use my code TOBYH20 and get $100 off. These guys are located everywhere. Try it out.